Now that is a good soup. Good soup. Soup's not a meal. You were supposed to buy me a meal. I'm not stopping you from eating. Go ahead and eat. Get anything you want. Very good. Very good. You know something? No soup for you. Yeah, we both have so much in common. We both love soup. All right, everybody. Welcome. This is the inaugural Good Soup Podcast. Very excited to be coming to you live. We're going to do our top 10 movies of 2021 and just go around and introduce everybody. So I'm Eric Campbell. I'm Matt. I'm Allie. I'm Danny. There were a lot of really good movies in 2021. Uh, Definitely a way better year than 2020. COVID and everything, but... I think we have a lot to cover, uh, and I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I mean, this year didn't really have like a Bohemian Rhapsody to really herald above the rest, but well, I mean, they delayed Morbius. Yeah, and that was so be the movie yeah. of the year. That was so, a real gut punch yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we finally got Last Duel, and those <laughs> damn kids on their phones didn't go see those it. Those millennials. Oh my god. They... We'll get into it because. But last... I mean, if we're talking Ridley Scott. There's another movie. Oh, yeah. We got House of Gucci. Yeah. <laughs> Father, yeah. Son, a, a, House of Gucci. A movie that we sure did see. Will it be on the top 10? Who knows? Probably not, but who knows? I mean, Jared Leto. Honestly, that movie made me proud that Eric is Italian. Honestly. Yeah. It, it, really, it really did. It it made me look at him in a different way, and that's for sure. Man, this is this is gonna go well. I can, this is gonna I, I, go I, I great. Can tell, I can tell. This is gonna go great. Uh, let's kick things off with the honorable mention categories. So the way we're gonna do this, we're gonna go around in a circle, essentially go ten to one in all of our movies. Don't worry. At the end, we'll list our top tens so the smooth brain people can figure it out. <laughs> All right, so honor, honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Right, gonna so throw it to Matt. Are we each gonna pick one honorable mention? I think that's. I think yeah. that's a. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we'll yeah. pick one. All right, for my honorable mention, House of Gucci is a contender. I, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with my honorable mention that just missed my top ten as the Suicide Squad because I love James Gunn and I loved this movie. I didn't love it quite enough for it to make the list. I there were some things that bothered me about it, but like. It was just one of those movies that, like, watching it, I could acknowledge that there were things wrong with it and, like, things that I wish had been done differently or done just in a different manner. But, like, overall, the experience, it just, I loved it so much. But just not enough. For my honorable mention, um, I'm going to go with Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, it's really solid for almost the entirety of the movie. And the last, like, 15 minutes kind of killed all the, like, emotional, I don't know. Like, the emotional, like, train of thought kind of gets derailed for me at, like, the very, very end of the movie. And I just kind of lost all connection to it. But Andrew Garfield killed it. He ate. He's incredible. <laughs> um, it, not the best part. All the songs are fantastic. Everything's great. But those last, like, 15 minutes just killed it and so it doesn't make my top 10 spoilers for that i guess but yeah so my like last three spots are all like fighting each other so it was hard to pick one to knock out right 
But I think my honorable mentions gonna have to be Nightmare Alley. Loved oh. it, fantastic movie. Mm. But the two above it, like uh, it, it was hard to pick. Mm. Mm. That's rough, Dan. Yeah, you did my boy Enoch dirty. Listen, listen, it was great. I loved it. I'll talk more about it. But Enoch, like... major sex appeal. Can we talk about that? Go <laughs> on, Eric. One Eric. person in a movie this year, I'd fuck. <laughs> Definitely, Enoch. So I think Eric, I'll fight you for it. You guys know Eric, Enoch's a baby, right? Your point. We got him. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, FBI. we got him. Plus, I mean, come on. Willem Dafoe's right there. Yeah. I mean. He didn't hang dong, though. No. Neither, neither did Bradley Cooper. All right. All right. All right. We're going to talk about what, this. What's your honorable mention? This is so tough because... No one picked Resident Evil, and I really <laughs> wanted to pick it, but I'm going to have to go House of Gucci. Uh, it's not good. It's entertaining, though. I mean, Adam Driver was over the entire movie, probably three scenes in. The first hour is a compilation of Adam Driver and Lady Gaga fucking to different music in different rooms. Papa, I don't hate it. These are not my ghosts. Um, I am Paolo Gucci, Jared Leto. He brings... Did you, did you die in poverty in London in 1990? <laughs> yes. He brings the wrong energy the whole movie. The wrong and energy. The fact that Jeremy Irons was casted for this <laughs> my, made no wait, sense. My, my favorite part is when like Jeremy Irons is alive. And he just cuts to him in a yeah, casket. Yeah, he's in a yeah. casket. No, the first hour of that movie is just an absolute comedy. And then like... The last hour and a half, because it's like a two and a half hour movie, again, for no reason, like was actually pretty good. Yeah. I mean, we went, full disclosure, yeah, we th- dressed this, up, we went to Olive Garden. This, this might be a story for another episode. I don't yeah, know. I, I, we we I might mean, have to do a whole thing on it. We're going to have to bring Will in <laughs> and do House of Gucci. But like, we had the a redux. night, we t- asked some random guy to take a picture at the poster. Will asked him for like five additional pictures after. It we was did a, a we did a silly one. We did. We did do a silly one. Us um, in our tracksuits. But all things considered, it was on my list for a while. It's not a very good movie. Yeah, the it wasn't, edit, it the wasn't, editing is horrible. Yeah, it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. No. It, it, it kept me engaged, it which, which you know what? Good enough. For entertainment purposes, for structure, editing, acting, I got gripes, but I had a good time, and that's kind of what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk about the other ones. Didn't see Tick Tick Boom. Gonna be honest, yeah. um, it's it's like it's really interesting because I don't I don't think I don't Dan did did Tick Tick Boom make it onto your list? No. Okay. All right. Well, then good I don't. Movie, th- good movie. Though. Yeah, I don't think it made it any of our top tens, but. It's. I found it so fascinating because the entire theme of the movie is like Jonathan Larson. You know, he's the guy who went on to make Rent, but he it it focuses on his time before Rent being like a struggling theater writer in New York, and the entire movie like follows him working on like two projects before Rent, and he basically it's this whole movie he's working on it, and it just ends up like not working out. Like he 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 spends spends the whole movie working on it. Spoiler alert for Tick Tick Boom, but gets it in front of like the the workshop group, like the like Stephen Sondheim's there, like everybody, like all these theater people are there, and basically the moral is like, you did good, but it wasn't enough. So here's to the next one, and I think that's exactly how I feel about Lin Manuel as a film director, because yeah. there were moments in this movie that I were like, that's really interesting, that's a really cool direction to take this in, 
And then, like Ali said, like the last like 15 minutes, it just, it felt like it had no idea how to end itself. And like, I finished that movie and I was like, huh, that was pretty good. Can't wait to see the next one, Lynn. Yeah. Suicide Squad, I did not like. I know you did. I did rewatch it. It's not as bad as I remembered. Mm-hmm. You... But it's it's the same formula. I'm just, I don't know if it's me saying the movie was bad or me saying I'm fucking tired of the same ensemble superhero movies. Mm-hmm. I can't watch another one. Yeah. They bore the shit out of me. I knew exactly where it was going. There were funny moments. Yeah. Um, you... It was... You might actually like Peacemaker, the show that's came out. They're... I actually watched the first episode. I do like it's it. It's pretty it's, good. It's, pretty, right? it's it's way different. Yeah, it's um, it's like a sitcom but shot like a drama. Yes, like it's, exactly. It's, it's much more of a comedy. And John Cena was not my favorite part of the Suicide Squad. Watching Peacemaker, the show, has made me like him so much more that I'm excited to rewatch Suicide Squad and like just watch John Cena because it just. It's doing so much for his character already, and it's such an enjoyable watch. Perfect lead-in, because I was about to say, John Cena carried just about every <laughs> scene he was in. Like, the scene at the end where they're fighting over the hard drive. Yeah. I forget what actor that is. It's uh, like, Joel Kinnaman. Yeah. yeah. Joel Kinnaman. He sucked balls in that scene. <laughs> like, nah. Cena carried him. Like, the whole scene hinged on him. I don't know. Idris Elba was fine. Margot Robbie, the one scene she had solo I mean, was my favorite. Idris part. Elba is pretty fine. Yeah, you're yeah. damn right. Mm-hmm. He is. Maybe, Margot may, Robbie was good. Maybe we'll like, talk yeah. about she, Idris she, Elba more in this podcast. Who knows? Foreshadowing. Well, you know what? That's a perfect lead in. Let's get into our top tens. Matt, if you want to lead it off with your number 10, I will lead it off. So, my number 10 spot, there were a couple movies that fell into more or less the same category for me where there were like three or four directors that made movies that I was like, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I definitely don't think it's this director's best work, but it definitely felt like they were having fun making that. And there were like three or four movies that fell into that category. But for number 10, I picked Nightmare Alley. Yeah. Because we we do it for Enoch in this house. Hell yeah. yeah. But like Nightmare Alley, I think Licorice Pizza, uh, French Dispatch, I think there might have been one other one, but I can't remember right now. All movies that like I thoroughly had a good time with. I have critiques for all of them, but still had a very, very thoroughly enjoyable time. And I think out of all of those, Nightmare Alley was just the one that I liked the most. And that might just be that I really enjoy Guillermo del Toro movies. Like Shape of Water is my comfort movie, and I know that's a weird take. Yeah, I know. I'm aware. I'm aware. But like... The Michael Giacchino, the cinematography in it, like, there's just something about it that just, like, I watch it and I'm like, that's nice. And I I felt very similarly uh, with Nightmare Alley. It just, like, there's a good time, carny vibes, mud, psychics, and et cetera, et cetera. It just, I don't know. It it was really enjoyable. The ensemble was great. The story was great. I think it had some issues with pacing. I think the first half is yeah. definitely better than the I second th- half. I think that's why I knocked it to my honorable mention. Because, mm-hmm. like, the first half with the carnival, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I was so into it. But, like, the second half where it's him and Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett, yeah. it's good. But there's some parts where, like, the pacing's like, eh. Yeah, I think the, the jump in the middle really just kind of... It took a second to kind of catch us up to speed, like, with the time jump. I also felt like it lost a little bit of that Bradley Cooper transformation because... Mm-hmm. The first half, you're kind of—it's kind of like his transition into like 
is this going to be our hero or is this going to be just some scumbag? Uh, and then we just kind of do the time jump and it gives us our, our answer. And it's just like, it does a time jump. And you're like, Oh, he's a dick. Yeah. And it yeah. Like, Oh God. I, uh, I had that movie in my list too. I have it at nine spoiler alert. We oh can talk God. about it now. It's also in my list. Yeah. So it's a great example in the environment we're in on how to do a remake because mm-hmm. it's super original minor critique should have shot it on film did not <laughs> like how it was shot like the shot composition's great but the look and feel doesn't match the time period they were going for in my opinion i don't know if that's the color grade or shooting on digital matt you could probably speak way better to that yeah i don't know i mean i really like dan lust and stuff um i mean like shape of water was incredible visually because like pretty much everything that you see in camera was more or less how they lit it like on the day. Like Guillermo del Toro does not, at least on his like last two, three movies has not done a lot of messing with the visuals in post. Like a lot of the look of the film is like baked in. Like they, if you look at behind the scenes photos, I haven't seen as much for nightmare alley. So I, I can't speak it, speak to it that well, but shape of water, like they more or less lit it like, as you see in the final film. Like, it's not a lot of color correction in post. The way they did the ending to the film. The last 45 minutes of Nightmare Alley are as strong oh, yeah, as the dude. first hour. Mm-hmm. It is that middle part. Yeah. You kind of get lost. Weirdest Step Brothers prequel I've ever seen. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like after the segment with, like, the judge and his wife, and you get to the, uh, like, the billionaire abusive Richard guy. Jenkins. Yeah, yeah, Richard Jenkins. Yeah, like, yeah. that's when it really picks up again. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's the guy from um, Manhunter. Mindhunter. Mindhunter. Yeah. Oh, the shitty his... dragnet. Yeah, I always off, I always forget his name. He's yeah, great, I do though. too. He's great. He's he's great a, he's a stand- good character actor. He's yeah. great at standing there well, and looking him. angry all the time. The acting's superb. I'm not a huge Bradley Cooper guy. Holt but... McCallany. Holt yeah, McCallany. that's it. Maybe that's why I don't um, remember his name. <laughs> yes, yes. His name's Holt. But yeah, that, Bradley Cooper in that see, movie, man? Yeah, Bradley so Cooper good. doesn't lay dong. Willem I, Dafoe also doesn't. I was down. enticed. I was told that Bradley Cooper is going to. So was down. I. Mm-hmm. I, I also, saw. I, I saw I interview. Also was told Bradley me Cooper Matt, about being full nude, and I did not get what I was. We promised. were me, Matt, he and did Allie get were a hand there, job. And we're like, yeah, he he gets a hand job, and I think that's what they're referring to because he is like naked. Naked. I mean, he has to be. I saw yeah. his ass. Yeah, I didn't see full frontal. Honestly, um, honestly, but Bradley Cooper was great. Everyone in the film was great, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and even like even with that middle part, like it, it's not even like a bad section. It yeah. just kind of loses a little bit of the pacing. No, it's not. It's not bad. I just think the beginning and the end are so so strong that even the slightest dip in like pacing and just like the story structure just kills it automatically just because of how like incredibly like engaging like the carnival scenes are in the beginning and like the drama of the ending it just loses it in the middle and that's why it's my number 10 yeah wow what a segue there you go what a segue thank you um yeah i mean good movie it's on the list, and mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. we all saw over 20 movies this year. So, like, yeah. oh, oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I saw closer to 40 at the end of it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I watched a lot of shitty movies. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of Resident shout Evil out, rewatches. Shout out Bergman Island. <laughs> was not good. They might, tr- art house fans will try and tell you it was good. It's a lesson on how to not structure a movie. But, Matt, 
Nightmare Alley, Alley, Nightmare Alley. The Italian thumbs down on Bergman Island. Yes. Dan. Not the Italian thumbs down. <laughs> Mamma mia. Mamma mia. These are not my ghosts. Uh, so, in a similar vein, you mentioned it earlier, mm-hmm. like movies by a director that you really like, but just not good enough. Mm-hmm. Not not like the, not like. their best, not, not their, their worst. Best, but yeah, yeah it gets on. Solid, solid, uh, solid. My ten is French Dispatch. Oh, really yeah. enjoyed it. I I I like Wes Anderson's style. I thought it was structured very well. I liked all the stories except one, which I'll get to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like for it's a Wes Anderson movie. But yeah. it's the most Wes Andersy movie you can imagine, in both yeah. good and bad. We're we're at the point where like you either. Wes Anderson's you either like your Wes cup Anderson, of tea or it's Or not. you don't like yeah. Wes Anderson. If yeah. you don't like Wes Anderson, you hate this movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's a weird-ass movie. Yeah. And it's um, not even like, that's not even to be like, you know, Wes Anderson is for like certain people and only certain people get it. It's just. He, only a cinephiles love Wes Anderson. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, no, it's just, like, he, he has a very. Pedo. <laughs> he, thank you. Uh, he has a You're very welcome. consistent style and a very consistent aesthetic. And he picks very consistent types of stories. Yeah. And that's not like a bad thing. It's just, you know. He has a certain aesthetic to him that mm-hmm. you either like or don't like. Because yeah. he's weird. They're weird movies. Yeah. And for French Dispatch, because uh, it's like an anthology movie with different stories, I liked all of them. Uh, my favorite was the Jeffrey Wright, the commissioner. Mm-hmm. That was just the most interesting, interesting character. Owen Wilson carried, though. You see, I was going to mention that. <laughs> Owen Wilson's section I loved. Uh-huh. I loved, uh-huh. I love seeing like the history of this town. It's too short. Yeah. But I like that it was short. But I wish there was, like, more short more. stories in between the three big ones. It's so like you go from, like, uh, Benicio Del Toro, mm-hmm. Owen Wilson short story, yeah, like Timothy Chalamet. More peppered throughout to yeah, kind of break it up. Th- they just add to it. Like, it's a good, like, five-minute, whatever it was, like, thing. I think that would help with the overall pacing of that movie as well. Because yes. I'm sure you're going to talk about it, but I think we all agree that the middle, again, dips. Yeah. yeah. The t- and I think that would time. chop it up and improve the pacing of this movie. Yeah, the Timothy Chalamet Ugh. section was definitely the weakest. Mm-hmm. Which I is just... weird, because like, going in, I thought it was the one I liked the most. Because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, students rebelling. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Lots of interesting stuff. Francis McDermott. Yeah, very, very classic Wes Anderson, too. Yeah, like, like that's like... the most classic Wes Anderson story. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't translate that well. Yeah, I don't think McDermott and Chalamet blended particularly well. Yeah, it it was a little weird. It, it just, not even like I don't know. I just don't think their styles of acting gelled very well. No, Chalamet I think also just felt weird in that movie. He's yeah. just like, he does one thing, and he does that one thing yeah. really well. But if you ask him to step outside of it whatsoever, he's incapable. Yeah, it's a very Matt Damon appeal, where it's yep. like, he, he yep. is he is Matt Damon, and yeah. if you need a Matt Damon in your movie, he will be a great Matt Damon. I don't think this movie needed Timothy Chalamet. I, yeah. uh, I'll jump in. I had it at seven on my list, so it oh, hit wow. mine, too. Um, I liked basically the same parts. Owen Wilson part, Benicio Del Toro part, Jeffrey Wright part, favorite part of the movie. Um, also, Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. Moment of silence for me. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I could have watched her in that movie the whole time, and Mm. she probably didn't have to say a single line. But that section and the movie, I talked about that the whole walk home from that. Yeah. Um, Just like the clashing of like styles, aspect ratios, just being all over the place. It went, that was the section when animated Mm -hmm. back to normal, back Mm -hmm. to animated. Mm -hmm. I love when he does that. Yeah. Um, my Wes Anderson thing, his stop motion stuff's better in my opinion. I really mm-hmm. like when he works in that medium. I probably not a 
top tier Wes Anderson movie for me. Yeah. Still really liked it, and he's not one of my favorite directors. So it's like it was a really good movie. Mm-hmm. I have problems with the Timothy Chalamet part. Yeah. It just was boring. And I, I will say though, like with that being said, I I definitely agree that it kind of drags. It gets kind of slow. And Wes Anderson does something very un-Wes Anderson in that section where he and loses the like the formality of his work like you that yes. center frame locked off yeah there is like a yeah it goes like it goes handheld yeah yeah, yeah that whole I noticed that right last away. like courtyard mm. scene yeah it's like it a hand drags yeah. and just ugh, it's like a ha- it's just a handheld like long take basically which is like more or less anti Wes Anderson like that is kind of like the opposite of everything that he does and you know it's interesting to see him do something that is very outside of his usual style. Uh, that being said, I think it went against more or less the flow and pacing and style of the entire rest of the film. And that's saying something, because like you said, a lot of the film kind of bounces around between like animation and live action, color and black and white, changes aspect ratios all over the place. So it is a very you know, stylistically diverse film. Yeah. But just that shot in that section, just it just didn't really work for me. And I feel like knowing Wes Anderson, it was probably some obscure reference to like a 60s new wave French film yeah. that I'm just too dumb to catch on to. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it hurt more than it helped for sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, my number 10 was The Last Duel. Ooh. Ridley Scott film. Technically 2020, but got released in 2021, so we're going to count oh, it. Yeah. Ridley's really mad that kids were on their phones <laughs> and didn't go see oh, his I'm movie s- about a 14th century duel in France. Eric, I'm sorry. I was texting someone. What would you just say? Yeah. yeah, I said Ridley Scott thinks you're an asshole. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, most I think Ridley do. Scott might vastly be approaching the I'm too old for this shit age. Yep. Yeah. He's there. So um, he's hit, he's hit in my, the Clint Eastwood era. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a really good movie. It's got a really good structure. It's the same story three times, but different perspective. They use the same shots from different angles. So it's the same scene acted out from a different angle. They add little bits of detail from character perspective. It's just a really good film. I love Ridley Scott. I think he's a great director. That's a hot take. That's um, that's probably why he was able to pump out like two movies around the same time. I know yeah. like Last Duel was delayed a bunch and stuff, but like, how how long was it? Like two hours, two and a half hours, two and a half. But if you're ju- thirty three, I think. Yeah, but if you're basically shooting like the same forty five minute movie, yep. a couple times, like probably like half an hour because I'm sure there's scenes in between and stuff. But if you're shooting the same like twenty to thirty minute sequence, just three different ways, like that takes so much off of like production design like extras because you're more or less using the same location same props same actors and everything you're just shooting it yeah three times not to say that it's easy but like i'm sure that made it a little bit easier with like condensed schedule condensed locations all of that it's really interesting because he plays it on you heard this part of the conversation and then saw these characters looking and then you reverse it to see those characters looking on and hearing their conversation and ads as the film goes on. So it's just like adding context. Yes. The, the more you go. The I did more not you see go. Um, Matt Damon's great. He's not my favorite. He's not Matt Damon. Like Interesting. He's, he blends into a role for once. Um, I Adam Driver's Adam Driver in this movie, <laughs> like he is in every movie, but it works. Not and House of Gucci. May I just say Ben Affleck casted perfectly. He plays a petulant dick who uh, likes to have sex with women 
a lot of the time against their will, and it seems like an accurate portrayal of Ben Affleck. Um, <laughs> it was written by Damon and Affleck, which really interests me because mm. it's historically accurate. It's a good piece. If you like medieval period pieces, action sequences, Ridley Scott's the king. Well, I, I mean, mean, Matt and Ben are good writers together. I they argue. are, yeah. yeah, like Goodwill no, Hunting. I you know, just surprised me that they chose this subject matter, but like. Ridley Scott directs an action sequence better than anyone who's ever existed. It's fantastic. I would recommend seeing it if you like a good slow burn. But uh, yeah, it was my 10. Nice, nice. All right, I guess we're on the number nine then. Yes, sir. All right, so for my number nine, I went with a movie that I wasn't sure if I was going to like before I saw it because there wasn't really a lot about this movie like before it came out. There was one trailer. And based on the trailer, I was like, this is either going to be really, really awesome or just like really, really bad. And it turned out to be really, really awesome. Uh, and that was The Harder They Fall yeah. by Jameis Samuel. It's, it's also my nine. Oh, like, oh wow. Like, yeah, yeah, nice. You know. Solid. Yeah, it just, it's such a good time. It's so cool. It's got so much style. The needle drops in this movie are great. It's a solid Western. It's, um, it's awesome because they're all... All of the characters in the film are like historical black Western figures. Uh, a lot of the stories they say up front are like these characters probably didn't do these things, but they're all portrayals of actual people that lived during that time. Uh, it's really awesome. Great, great ensemble movie. Oh, dude, the ca- the cast in Jonathan that movie, Majors, Idris Elba, Zazie Beetz, yeah, R- Regina King. The best. Oh, my my favorite was uh, Lakeith Stanfield in that movie. Yeah, fucking uh, Dion Cole pops up <laughs> at one point, which is just love, hilarious. Love Dion Cole's black box TBS. Bring it back. <laughs> yeah, but just like it's such a good good time. Like it's also a great example of like it's like how how long was it? It was like little over two hours, like 2.15. Like, the first, like, hour and a half, hour 45, are more or less kind of set up, build up, kind of not really slow burn, but, like, we're we're heading towards yeah. a definite conclusion. And then, like, the last, like, 30, yeah. 40 minutes is just, like... Solid payoff. Like, yeah. it's just it's just a great sequence. Like, it, it just sets itself up and then yeah. puts it all out there. And it it's, just feels it's awesome. like a very, like, unique Western. Like, I, I'm a fan of Westerns. They're fun, you know? But this had, like cool camera movements yeah, like the yeah. soundtrack in that movie yeah Whew. and i think like it's it's obvious to draw comparisons to like django which like also like a western starring black characters uh both kind of take from that same kind of like 70s exploitation film era where like they're very stylized very like very intense stylistically i think like they're very different still though because i don't know they django and just like tarantino as a whole very like in your face very like i don't know i've been trying to think about how to describe this because they have very different feels to them even though they have similar aesthetics similar storylines they're both like revenge westerns but they they just feel very different at the same time and i i I haven't been able to quite place my finger on it yeah it's interesting because i don't know i haven't thought too much about them together like you have Mm -hmm. but like but yeah, yeah just, I don't know. I, th- I think it might just be Tarantino's directing style. It's just very like, I'm the coolest, I'm the greatest. 
Are you yes. saying he's not? Nah, I, I'm saying he, he But exists. Matt. I'm saying he's not. I think, but like, I think, uh, have you seen Pulpican? There's a lot of movies that like uh, have a very Tarantino light feel to mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Like this is off topic. Just like mention it real quick. Yeah. A few years ago, there was oh, uh, Bad Times. Bad Times at the El Royale, yeah. Yeah. which was yeah. all right. Yeah. It, was, but yeah, it, it felt bad. very much like a Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I get like, what you're saying I for this one. But it didn't. Blade. But with, uh, with Bad Times... With Bad Times, uh, I feel like it was very much so taking from the Tarantino aesthetic, but not really adding anything of its yeah. own. Uh, and I feel like the harder they fall, I, I wouldn't even say that this really took from the Tarantino aesthetic because Tarantino is taking from other aesthetics and that's his aesthetic. I think this is more accurate to taking to the original aesthetics of 70s exploitation films and putting them on its own uh, style. Cool. Yeah, but... Solid time, solid yeah, ensemble, time. solid action. Yeah. So I'm not going to talk about it a lot because my number nine is The French Dispatch. And okay. I feel like we gave it a pretty good rundown earlier. And yeah, just the dip in the middle, the Timothy Chalamet section, like we said earlier, just is the reason I can't put it up quite so high, despite really honestly enjoying it. I do enjoy Wes Anderson. He's not my favorite director. I enjoy the aesthetic. I like consistent things in my life. I know he's always going to make a movie. It looks cute. It looks pretty. I'm going to like it and have fun. And that's just kind of how I felt about The Friends Dispatch. There wasn't anything really distinct for me aside from like separate from his like other movies. So yeah, number nine it is. And again, my nine was also Harder They Fall. Yeah, and my nine was Nightmare Alley. So <laughs> we've come. We're back. We're, I, we're at that point of the list. We're all the same person, so yes. Just do with that what you will. Yeah. Uh, I think pretty much from this point, like most of our movies are going to be similar. Yeah, like we're going to get a lot of overlap in yeah. different spots. I think as we get higher to the top, though, we're going to get a lot more that are unique. I yes, think. yes, yeah. and unique takes on movies because mm-hmm. thinking of one in particular that dan and i both really liked i think we're gonna have different viewpoints on it but mm-hmm. i know, I know what you're talking about dude number eight Matt. number eight all right number eight is gonna be uh a movie that i had a really really enjoyable theater experience with uh i still need to see it again because i do think full disclaimer i think it might have been a bit emotionally overwhelming and might not have been the most critical watch. Uh, number eight for me is Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, just such a good fucking time in the movie theater. We went opening night. I was dressed as Tobey Maguire. You know? <laughs> he was dressed was as Tobey Maguire. Eric was, was there. Eric was also there, and I, I have a sneaking suspicion it's probably not going to make his top ten. No, it um, is not. <laughs> I thought it was your number one. Number one in Loser Town. <laughs> Well, I had a really great time watching that movie. Um, I think something that it does very uniquely to superhero movies, specifically legacy superhero movies that do tend to fall into the realm of kind of cashing in on nostalgia, previous franchises, stuff like that, is that I feel like this movie really used its legacy and its franchise power and its past characters to build a better story for the current characters. Yeah. And then it just feel like a uh, cameo fest. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, no. like, I, here's this character. Yeah. Like, I think I, that, oh, go ahead. I will say, the only three people that really get a story are the three current Spider-Man characters mm-hmm. and Aunt May. 
and I think they did those characters very well. I yeah. thought Tom Holland was great, and I usually don't like him, but mm-hmm. I did really enjoy his performance. Yeah, I think definitely the best of the three Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Uh, I think. Oh, I mean, by far. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I have pretty big issues with the other two Spider-Man movies. I think after this movie, it's gonna make me look at them differently because I think this, along with the legacy characters and legacy legacy storylines, I think helped contextualize the previous two movies to make these three Spider-Man movies yeah. actually feel like a cohesive trilogy, which mm-hmm. I didn't think that they really... The first two movies do not feel cohesive before this, and I think that they now will feel like a cohesive trilogy of the high school Spider-Man becoming the Spider-Man that yeah. you know we all know. Yeah, um... My main issues with the movie are they oh, didn't boy. write like any interesting new plot lines for any of the villains they brought in. They just kind of gave them the same lines they had in the other movie. Every joke was pretty much a callback to the other movies for those characters. Mm. And I Willem Dafoe was still great. All the villains were still great. It just was into the Spider-Verse in live action for me, where they brought in other Spider-Mans, they brought in other villains. I've already seen Marvel do the multiverse thing. Mm-hmm. I just, it was predictable as hell. I will say, it was also super fun. Yeah. Um, the vibe in the movie theater helped, but the film itself is really fun. Yeah. Um, Willem Dafoe's great, Green Goblin, probably the best villain in, in any superhero movie. Mm-hmm. I'll die on that hill. It's mm-hmm. a good blend of comedy and mm-hmm. like seriousness and you know inner conflict Tom Holland was fine like i said it was his his best performance i agree with you it's the best of the three spider-man movies mm-hmm. that they've made under this current reboot yeah. but i just it wasn't very original for me mm. uh but that being said out of the all the marvel movies i saw this year i'd rank it the highest by a lot yeah and i think you mentioned into the spider-verse and i think that they do very similar things in that they use other characters really well to support the main struggle of our main character. Yeah. Like, they they used the idea... Like, the best three Spider-Man movies to me are No Way Home, Into the Spider-Verse, and Spider-Man 2, because they all focus on probably the best theme in Spider-Man. The best aspects of, like, the Spider-Man character. In that what it means to be Spider-Man. The conflict between Peter Parker and Spider-Man. The balance between the personal and the moral obligation to protect people. And I think that is like, that is at its core, like the best part yeah. of Spider-Man and, and those think... movies focus on it the most. Yeah. However, yeah, I mean, they did a good job yeah. for what it was and how they outlined it and, and kind of schemed it. I thought they executed it very yeah. well. I mean, my I, biggest I just... complaint was, you know, Paul Giamatti's Rhino didn't come yeah, back. Yeah, yeah I'm was, the that was Rhino. That was disappointing. Not enough lizard. I, yeah, I, I, you I know. must also say. I mean, like if everyone I, was lizard, the Jamie you know? Fox Black Spider-Man line was pretty hilarious. Yeah, I, I laughed really good. hard at that. That was pretty good. Yeah, uh, Ellie, your number eight, please. My number eight is the harder they fall, which Ooh. we did talk about it. I liked it a little bit more than Matt and Dan did, obviously. It's got a really sexy cast, which you know just gives it like a little extra, an extra bump. So I mean, Idris Elba, you know, Zazie Beetz, like Boing. the harder they fall, I thought was so much fun. It's such an incredibly dynamic movie. Dan mentioned like the songs a little bit earlier. They just like transition the movie and take it to like a new height, and it's 
it's really really entertaining the color grading is really cool the the first time we saw it it's on netflix right yeah something about the compression that netflix did it was just really crunchy and loud yeah noisy to look at and we watched it again with dan and they fixed it and it looks so much better i definitely recommend giving it a look it's really easy to watch since it's streaming on netflix tick tick boom too where like just whatever the the streaming quality or like the compression with the upload or whatever just like the noise and the quality was just like really kind of gross at first but yeah i really really enjoyed the harder they fall so my i won't talk much about because i know it's somebody's number one so feel weird to discuss a lot now and admittedly it's a very good movie it's a good movie you know uh west side store is my number eight <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna save that one for Matt. Yeah, we're gonna save that. I can oh, see Matt. Matt what do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. What you're talking I can about. see Matt like eyeing me from across the room. You know, Dan, I don't so. know what you're talking about. West Side <laughs> Story. But yeah, like Dan. My brief thoughts now. Great movie. Really well done. It's a good musical. It, it, it's 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 West Side Story. Like he it's a good stole time. my fucking line. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It, it is West Side Story. All right. Mm-hmm. I'll jump in because we'll talk about thought. that more later. My number eight, maybe the most interesting movie I saw all year. Oh uh, I God. saw it with Matt I, and yeah, our I buddy Sam. Sam, if you're listening to this, shout out. Sam Jansen, great guy. <laughs> um, we saw Benedetta Ooh. in the theaters. That's my number eight. Paul, Paul Verhoeven, Verhoeven, you yeah. saucy little Dutchman. He's back, baby. The Catholic Church is both evil <laughs> and liars. This just in. And also kind of sexy, question Kind mark? of sexy. Um, I mean, Pope They Francis. make <laughs> a dildo out of the Virgin Mary, and there's about a seven and a half minute full penetration sex scene mm-hmm. uh, with two women. And I wasn't sure how to feel about it in the movies. Mm-hmm. Matt saw how uncomfortable I got. Incredibly. Uh, it was just, when I watched it, I was mm-hmm. like, eh, I don't really know if I like that. And then I thought about it for like a week. And uh-huh. it was one of those movies, the more you kind of sink your teeth into it yeah. and the more it seeps into you, the mm-hmm. more shit you realize about it and how clever it was. Yeah. It's a period piece. It's a historical piece. Everything that happened pretty much happened verbatim for what we know knowledge-wise. The woman who played Benedetto was 46, I don't know if that surprises you. It shocked me. That sounds about right. I don't, um, I don't know. I know. That's like a weird I, I, tidbit. Yeah, but I didn't like, really, yeah. The movie twists and turns four or five times. Yeah, you I, never see it coming. I think also neither of us really realized that it was actually like Saint Benedetta is was an actual saint. Yeah. I, I, we didn't realize that until no, after the movie. I didn't know it until after the movie. Yeah. With, like, with that context, it's just like... Incredible. It, yeah, it's just a giant middle finger to the Catholic Church like he as a movie. He basically flopped his cock on the table and <laughs> said, suck it, Catholic Church. Well, I um, mean, it, he didn't because... Yeah, women, lesbians. Yeah, but... Yeah. It's just a great movie. Like, the way he portrays the townspeople or, like, mm-hmm. get behind her, but the whole church is, like, she's a liar, and then the guy who runs the town's like, yeah, but she's great for tourism. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's hilarious. It's great. Yep. It's serious. The remember, ending remember is Barbar- dark as fuck. Remember Barbarian Jesus? Yeah, yeah, I do. There's a dream sequence where, Barbar- where Jesus rides in on a horse and just starts decapitating dudes. Oh, yep. hell yeah. Yeah, it's just... It It did not make my top ten, uh, but it 
it, it is worth a watch. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I didn't want it to make my top 10. I just couldn't stop thinking about it after we saw it. I love Paul Verhoeven. Full disclosure, Robocop. Robocop. Maybe my favorite movie ever. Just I'm more awesome. of a Starship Trooper guy. Starship Troopers is up there, too. Um, he's just a great director. He does weird shit better than anyone where it's not weird for the sake of weird. It's weird that he's weird. Uh, bitches leave. <laughs> All-time line in a movie. Because he didn't know what bitches meant. Um, <laughs> just the casting's great. The movie's great. There's people you know. There's a lot of people you don't know. Well, I mean, I know the Virgin Mary. Yes, yes. I mean, she ain't a virgin anymore after this one, fellas. More like Mary Magdalene at this point. Like you know? I Thanks said, for that. there's a lot of really long sex scenes. So yeah, don't no, watch it's, this it's gratuitous, with your parents. But like, on it, purpose. It, it works, though. Yeah, no. Like, it's, it works. It, it's almost a coming-of-age story and a historical event. Well, I mean, something's coming an up. Ex, expose on the Catholic Church at the time and in <laughs> modern times. I don't know. I really liked it. Yeah, I no, would it's... recommend everyone check it out because it's probably the most different thing you're going to watch this year. It's a weird one. Yeah. Number seven. So my number seven uh, technically came out this year. It's, I don't know. There, there was, I was confused on a lot, like chronologically, because like Oscar contention and everything last year because of COVID got pushed. So like a lot of movies that came out in like the first quarter of 2021 went to the Oscars last year. Cause they just pushed eligibility. Cause not a lot came out in 2020. Um, it's like, there was a lot of movies that had like, I mean, it kind of happens every year where like they have like the festival runs and like limited theater releases, but they don't really hit like general theaters until like the first or second month of the year. Uh, all that to say, my number seven is Judas and the Black Messiah. Great movie. It like it's 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 one of my favorite biopics I've seen in a while because it does so much more than just be a biopic. It's such an intense thriller. It's just so gripping. Like it, it does a lot more than just. I think the best part about that movie does yeah. is uh, it doesn't like water down Fred Hampton. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like I feel like it does him justice. It's you no know? Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> but like a lot of movies that focus on like uh, influential leaders from like the mm-hmm. 60s and 70s, yeah. you know, they're like, no, they weren't socialists. Yeah. Yeah. You like know? there's like, when, like whenever there's like MLK biopics or anything yeah. like they they tend to shy away from like the they they uh the intersectionality between like the racial and the economic policies they hollywoodize it yeah you know yeah they just make it like he thought racism was so bad that he just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, I you think know? this it's, one shows very well yeah. like. Who Fred Hampton was, yeah, what yeah. he was about. It had and some what... Malcolm X in it where it was not your traditional copy and paste structure yeah, for yeah. a biopic. It wasn't just like, this was a person and they lived and wasn't that so cool? Like, it's, yeah. it's, there's a lot of conflict in this movie. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of drama. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, Daniel Kaluuya, both just Dude, so Kaluuya good. in that movie? Oh my, oh God. my God. Yeah, so good. Stanfield was really good too. I mean, the man did like... win an Oscar. But. Uh, him and Lakeith, the... best supporting actors, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Because the best main actor is Jesse Clemens yeah, I... as the FBI agent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, listen. Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield were both nominated for best supporting actor. That leads me to believe that Jesse Plemons is the lead actor of that movie. So, did I say they were both lead? No. No, you, you said, said supporting. supporting. Okay, great. Jesse they... Plemons is the Fucking lead. Fucking trust yourself. <laughs> oh my God, I'm sorry. How can Frito-Lay be making a profit? <laughs> In this economy? having a game night? <laughs> Yo, f- fat Todd is still my favorite thing from El Camino. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Listen, we no 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 dis no no body shaming Jesse Plemons in this house. All right. It's, nope. 
Cumberbatch yeah, no Cumberbatch. Yeah, no Cumberbatch did. Oh, ooh, spoilers, spoilers. Uh, yeah, but Judas and the Black Messiah, really, really solid. Great biopic, even better thriller. Solid time. Cinematography, also awesome. Was that who was? Was that Bill Pope? I feel like that was Bill Pope. Tying it into Benedetto Pope. <laughs> no, it was Sean Bobbitt. That's who it was. Yeah, Sean Bobbitt. Yeah, he's a he's a. Why can't I? But it, it was shot really well. Yeah, see, like he, I thought the uh, yeah, he's, I thought the I thought the lighting in the movie was really good. Yeah, there are certain scenes that really stood out to me. Yeah, Sean Bobbitt, he's uh, he's Steve McQueen's cinematographer, yeah. so he like, shot like Shame and Hunger and Widows. Which one? <laughs> you don't have a follow up for that joke? No, I don't. I want to rewatch it again. Cause yeah, it came out in what February? Yeah, we watched it in like February. That me and Allie were having the same conversation yeah. about it, where we were like, "This was really good." I just have like. In talking about the rest of the movies yeah. on our list, like so many of these were within like the past like two three months. Yeah, yeah, it's and hard to talk about because yeah. like I I remember moments I liked a lot, mm-hmm. but it's hard to like speak the movie as yeah, well. Yeah, it's it's been so long. Yeah, Allie. All right, so taking it back again by what is this number seven? seven. I can't seven. count. Watch um, Mojo's top seven. So my number seven is Spider Man. Um, we just cool. talked about it a lot the last round. Uh, I just wanted to add, it, it impressed me since there was so much hype surrounding this movie and it still lived up to the the hype like for almost everybody. It has glowing reviews. I really enjoyed it. And I think that's a really impressive feat in and of itself. And pretty much everything we talked about earlier, I also agree yeah. with. Yeah, I, mean, I think it does great things for Tom Holland's Peter Parker. I think it reframes the previous two movies improves on him a little bit more so it's sitting pretty at number seven yeah, for I me i mean it's also my seven so like i'm just gonna say i'm just gonna yeah. add on real quick you mm-hmm. know like look I, I, i'm a nerd man i don't give a shit i grew up watching Tobey Maguire. Mm-hmm. i got to watch him andrew garfield and tom team up and do shit oh. i was happy and willem dafoe's in it and willem like, dafoe does Yo, that's not see- lay dunk unfortunately <laughs> not but he does uh sumo throw tom holland through a hotel that was Wish cool it was shit. Me. yeah i know right it was a real shame that andrew garfield didn't show up though yeah I mean, you know yeah, yeah. he's still it was a deep yeah. fake you yeah. know it, it was a photoshop guys yeah so he, i don't i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> i really hope he just keeps denying he's in that movie till like the end of one thing life. i i do want to say about spider-man oh, to boy. all the people that are like sony should sell the movie rights to disney you just don't understand how economics work. This movie made like what two hundred million dollars plus yeah. so far. It was Sony the, uh, gets ninety five percent of that. So yeah, like yeah. Disney I'm, gets all the merchandising. It, in a pandemic, I'm pretty sure it still beat Force Awakens opening domestic yeah. weekend total, yeah, which I was like a lot. Yeah. I think it has the highest like grossing like whatever that's called for this year. Am I wrong? Oh, I mean, this year by a long shot. Yeah, and like, which I know it's still like still got... pandemic after effects. But I think that's still Endgame impressive. as a whole is still like the top opening weekend worldwide. Yeah, but I, I think, think domestically, is. No Way Home yeah. was higher. Yeah, it's I mean, insane. Disney still got um, the creative control, which is what everyone wants except me. But like, you know, Sony's not just gonna give Disney this. And the unfortunate yeah. thing is, they're gonna reboot Spider Man in four years. Yeah. There's no way they don't. So we're gonna see a new Spider Man. Or they're gonna years. just grind Tom Holland into a pulp. I, I mean, he's uncharted now. So <laughs> I was about to make a Nathan Sony, Drake Sony joke, really likes paying actors and using them. In well, every what's gonna movie. happen is Tom Holland's gonna go do Uncharted. Spoiler alert: It's gonna be 
fucking awful. And he's like, you know what? Maybe being Spider-Man again doesn't sound too bad. You know what? They got Jared Leto as Morbius. So, like, yeah, can really Yo, Spider-Man 4, it's going to be uh, Tom Holland versus Jared Leto. Mm-hmm. I'll hold out. Jared Leto lays dong. Um, my <laughs> number, seven number seven was French Dispatch. So, we're not uh. going to talk about it anymore. We've beaten a horse. Oh, wow. Dead. Wow. Into the ground. Wow. But, uh, Wow. An afternoon um, in ennui. Yeah, it was seven on mine. I liked it. Yeah. It was fine. Solid time. Solid time. Uh, number six. Matt. Number six. Number six is a movie that I loved so much, and no one fucking saw it because it just, <laughs> except for Allie, and she's sitting next to me, but I've, no one saw this movie. It's Steven Soderbergh's No Sudden Move. Uh, I love Steven Soderbergh. Really? Yeah, I love Steven Soderbergh. Hey, dude, I know. Ocean, shocker. O- Ocean's Eleven slap. Matt, Listen. you should watch Grey's Anatomy. I, it's really good. Grey's Anatomy? Let me tell you something about Grey's this Anatomy, man. man. made me hey, watch I, I, this. That's my not favorite once, ABC show. But twice on his laptop with mm-hmm. laptop audio mm-hmm. sitting next to him in the middle <laughs> of mm-hmm. doing something else. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I'm not complaining. It's a great. I was here last. I was here last night. Yeah, I tried to get Matt, to watch it. We're like, what do you want to do? And Matt just like walked up to me with the Criterion collection of Grey's Anatomy and said, "He does it Grey's with Anatomy. everyone." Yeah, he almost got me. Every he almost time, got me. every time. If you don't know what to watch, he's gonna <laughs> suggest it. Yeah, <laughs> Eric's the only one I've been able to convince to watch twice <laughs> because I didn't have the heart to tell you I had already seen it. I just figured I'd wait, act surprised. Wait, what? Yeah, we did it. Like, you remember your old place in South Philly? Yeah, You watched yeah, yeah. it there on the couch, and then when you first moved here, you were like, hey, have you seen Grey's Anatomy? We should watch it. I didn't have the heart to tell you we already did this. <laughs> we watched it the exact same way. Me on that couch, you on that couch, laptop in so the So why not the TV? That doesn't sit, no, that doesn't sound right. I'm telling you. No. For a fact, we did this. No. Yes. I remember watching it with you at Broad. I yeah. Don't, did we watch it here? We I don't think we did. We watched it like the week after you moved in here. Wacky. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound like me. I love Steven Soderbergh. The man has been able to like consistently more or less put out a movie every year for like the past three years. And like not always the best, but like usually pretty solid. Um, no sudden move. Really great time. Uh, Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, David Harbour, John Hamm, Ray Liotta, well, if we're talking Brendan Don Frazier, Cheadle, I mean, Kieran Culkin. Space Jam 2, is that on anyone's list? That's my number one, man. <laughs> yeah, same. LeBron just LeBron. makes my car hard. Uh, but yeah, No Sudden Move, really, really solid Soderbergh. Uh, it's just, it's a fun crime movie. It starts in one place and ends in like a completely different place. It's just this long winding road that, all kind of seems like nonsense and most of it probably is i haven't seen it yet but mm-hmm. like i'm just happy that there's a brendan fraser Ren- renaissance mm-hmm. that beautiful man yeah oh, the brendan fraser sons dude like the mummy the mummy the mummy the mummy mommy i mean yeah no sudden move it's on hbo max it went exclusively to streaming which i think has happened to like the last two or three Soderbergh movies because he really just pumps them out and shoots half of them on iPhone now, which I mean, <laughs> no disrespect because the man somehow makes it work. Is no sudden move on iPhone too? Uh, no, no sudden move is not on iPhone. I think they shot it on red cameras and they shot it on like vintage Kawa anamorphics. So that, that sick. yeah, it that looks sick. wacky because basically they, they, the lenses that they used like were the wrong basic like 
format for the camera sensor. So the edges of the frame are just super, super warped. And usually you would like just crop your image at that point. But Steven Soderbergh was like, nah, it looks kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's yeah, he was. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's a very weird looking movie. Uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's one of those directors we'll look back on in like 20 years and be like, how did no one watch this guy's movies when they came out? Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone should watch Grey's Anatomy because yeah. it's contagion. great. I, contagion I'm topical. Off. I'm cutting you off. I'm cutting you off. Magic Mike, Ocean's Eleven. Oh, my God. I always All forget right. that he did Magic Mike. He so did Contagion. I'm not stupid, right? No, yeah, yeah. Contagion. Contagion's great. So, no, no, this is no actually, he's not no, allowed to speak. No, this is actually an interesting segue. Uh, so Steven Soderbergh did a lot of research for Contagion yeah. and basically predicted COVID. Like, it's a terrifying movie to watch because it's literally what would happen if, like, a viral pandemic happened in the United hey, States I've heard across about the world. Before. Him and the video game Homefront. Yeah. <laughs> which none of you have played. But uh, someone out there has I'm played familiar it. With I played it. Homefront too. Okay. But yeah. the one that's in Philly? Yeah, they said in 2020 there was going to be an avian flu outbreak. And uh, that game was made in 2005. So, Well, anyway, all of the research that Steven Soderbergh did for Contagion, like he took very seriously, and that movie is very much so grounded in like the reality of what would happen. Uh, and with that being said, he was actually like at the forefront of basically helping like Hollywood productions go back into production during COVID and being like, yeah, this is a viral pandemic. These are the things you should do to stay safe while also making movies. King. King. Alley. King shit. All right. So number six for me is Judas and the Black Messiah. If you haven't picked up on it, my list is just Matt's list, but I've seen less movies, and so they're at different numbers. Well, it's really funny you say that, because my, my number six is uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. <laughs> okay, I take it back. Dan and I are the same person. Um, Unlike you guys, but with uh, Clarence. I'm more of I don't a know. I think we character. might be the ones with class, Dan. I'm a fancy bitch. Right? I have no class or respect We know. Myself. You're a degenerate. That's the word for you. I, I don't really have anything much else to say other than yeah. what we've already said about it. Um, we were talking about it earlier today, Matt, mm-hmm. and I think it's a really weighty movie, and yeah. like the consequences are really, really felt and echo throughout the whole movie and are pretty dire um, and severe and really quite painful to watch. And I think the film does a really good job of communicating that, whereas other films... I'm not going to name names, have a lot of trouble communicating weight in their plot and their story. I mean, that's well, not just like a I specific, mean, there's no specific example. Like <laughs> a lot of people have that problem yeah. in writing, but this is not one of those cases. It's hard to watch. It's really emotional, but it's really, really well done. Great performances. We mentioned already Oscar winner. Yeah. Um, Dan, your number six was so, Judas in the Black Yeah, Messiah. but so I'll just... Uh, say Keep some going. things on it real quick. Yeah. Uh, great movie. Still a lot on it. Uh, yeah, it's just a really good time. I feel like enough people in the country don't know how fucked up the FBI was. Like, the counter-polio program was, like, insane yeah. in terms of the what uh, Hoover was doing to spying on people. Yeah. Like, they just straight up assassinated Fred Hanton, man. Yeah, and you said this earlier that, like, a lot of biopics, like, shy away from this. This was, like, not the case yeah, with this especially one. They were really like, honest. Yeah, not to get too much into it, but, like, I feel like a lot of Hollywood movies try and shy away from the reality stuff and try to make it, like, it was bad, but we're still good. 
Like, I won't get too much into it. It sugarcoats uh, it. Falcon and the Winter Soldier this year, right? Yeah. Uh, it tries to delve into politics. And, like, the final scene is uh, Sam as, like, the new Captain America. And he's like, hey, these politics suck, but we can do better. You got to do better, Senator. And, like, tries to... Does like a whole corny speech about it, but like the reality of it is, is that like we live in a very screwed up society with stuff like that, and enough movies to try and sugarcoat it, like actually delving into the history of like the FBI, law enforcement in this country is like very messed up stuff. Yeah, but it was also like Judas and the Black Messiah was also like very okay with having a lot of conflict. Like it's not, yeah. it 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 doesn't take the opposite radical side where it's like Fred Hampton was an angel and a beautiful man and absolutely never did anything wrong. Like it, it, it's very okay with showing you like it, it's showing you content that like you can be like, Oh, I don't know how I quite feel about this. Like, obviously like the assassination of Fred Hampton is wrong and everything. And like, it's very clear in that regard, but it still shows you a lot of the conflict that happened within that. It's not, it's not just black. It Panther. portrays him as a real person. Yeah, it doesn't portray him as an angel yeah, or it, like this, uh, propagandized demon like they try to portray him as yeah you know? it, it it doesn't do the uh speaking of uh falcon and winter soldier uh their ideal their ideals were right but they were just too gosh darn my favorite violent, uh you know? hollywood trope is uh <laughs> the evil liberal you know the evil le- the the evil leftist who's right yeah. but just takes it too far just man. a little too far yeah man. no it doesn't do that which yeah. was nice mm. so <laughs> like yeah real i guess um my number six? six six was West Side Story, so we'll save that. Um, Steven Spielberg did a great job. It's West Side Story. Dan took my caption. It's definitely a West Side Story. I've seen Romeo and Juliet and West Side Story. I am comfortable with the story. I've got issues with that take, but we'll get there. <laughs> I mean, it's really good, and they cast it's well actually done. It's Hispanic a well done movie. people this time, and not just white people to act like Hispanics. Yeah, no, the, the lack of brown face was definitely an improvement. Like, look, for sure, yeah, for there's sure. improvements that this one made on the original, just as a whole. I was just like, music's yeah, great, choreography's great, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we'll get to we'll, it. We'll get to um, it, we'll get to it. We're at number five at the halfway point i think things are gonna get a little spicy now so this oh, is fun i think that we all have kind of the same movies so i don't know i don't know i don't know matt number five my number five dude well i mean speaking of spicy you know <laughs> i see what you did there <laughs> oh, 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 oh. do it for him do it michelin for man <laughs> do it for the throat scene guy looking ass uh yeah dune was incredible uh insane it's just it's so good uh so i went with all three of the people in this podcast uh, i had not read dune previously the three of them had uh without the context of reading the book uh i thought it did a great job of portraying a very dense story uh without just going into exposition mo- mode and upon learning more about the story and the kind of subplots that were avoided or just cut out from the film a lot of them linger and are yeah. there and it's I, I i'm probably not the best person to talk about doing again having not read the source material no we'll talk about it later oh yeah <laughs> okay we'll talk about it later as someone uh, is, who's read um, the book four times yeah. there's things i yeah. love and there's questions I've, yeah but. i have a lot to say about the movie mm-hmm. it's gonna come up later so mm-hmm. i'll save it yeah as, as someone who had not read dune saw it just as a movie and experienced it it's such a great theater experience. It's yep. it's stupidly massive uh, in the best way possible. I love Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, shout out Denis Villeneuve for 
telling Warner Brothers to go fuck themselves for the HBO Max thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone feels that way that works in film and loves film. They, they fucked them over. And yeah, they fucked bit. over a lot of people that worked and put money into that film, ironically themselves at the end of the day, because their numbers dropped 50% in subscriptions by the end of the year. Yeah. So it didn't even help them retain subscription mm-hmm. yeah. base, membership for their service. Yeah. They just they fucked up all year long doing it. Yeah, um, I think it it's, it's weird it's like up because that few... is we saw it in Dolby. That's a movie where if you can see it with visceral mm-hmm. surround, yeah, it improves the the film experience. I'm interested to see like where the next few years go when it comes to movies because like the streaming thing coming up, like it's definitely just changing the landscape. Like I think we're gonna be hitting a part where like. The only things in movie theaters are going to be like big blockbusters. Yeah. I I just don't think they're going to get directors. I, yeah. I I think it's going to get to a point where people like Villeneuve, like you know, back in the day, Kubrick asked leaving RKO to go to Warner Brothers. He's going to leave Warner Brothers, and A twenty four will pay him anything that he wants to make films, and they'll put it in the theater first. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I can definitely yeah. speak to that because saw it in the theater in the Dolby. Yep. Opening night, incredible, yep. such a great experience. Wasn't sure how I felt coming out of it the first time. Went home and just immediately put it on HBO Max. It was like I start. We started it at like midnight and watched it until like two thirty in the morning, and it kind of looked like shit on HBO Max. Yep. Like especially having the image of the theater experience so fresh in my mind, and then watching it on digital, it looked terrible. Uh, but that was also the moment that I realized that I really enjoyed it because I was able to watch this two and a half hour movie Twice. back to back yeah. yeah a double feature of the same movie and uh that's my number five yeah do it for him my desert. also like perfect timothy chalamet casting yeah. versus yeah. french dispatch where it wasn't because paul doesn't have that many lines he's more of a stoic character and uh i'll shut up now because we're going to talk about it later oh yeah i've got a lot to say about this movie but Good. We're not there yet. No, we're at uh, number five. We are, and my number five is No Sudden Move, which everyone should go see, as was discussed earlier. Um, yeah, it's got drama. I don't know. We kind of we kind of talked about it already. Yeah, yeah. We don't really need to do it again. Um, definitely derails itself, but in the best way possible. Like it chaos like it's but it's great though it's, it's, it's not illogical yeah. dan you'll like it it's your i'll thing. check it out I'll it's check your it out. thing all right thank you that's my number five yeah well my number five is also dune which is shocking because yeah. it, when it came to the year i thought it'd be I like number it'd be one higher. so did i so did i yeah. i mean two months ago it was like my number two it, it two, was two months ago it was my number, number one you know what it was my number one movie I bumped it down to three. And I mean, I oh, wow. almost bumped it down to I four. I think they wow. can all attest to how fucking excited I was for this movie. <laughs> yes, yeah. How excited you like, all were. Dude, I talked about this pants. movie dude. for two years. It's yeah. my favorite current I still remember working when, regular when the first trailer. Oh, dude. Well, Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Prisoners. Prisoners. Prisoners is fantastic. Yeah. But anyway, I, I remember uh, when the trailer first dropped in 2020. We, we watched it together. Yeah. We were at uh, your mom's house. Yep. We were so excited. And then when news it got delayed to like a whole other year, we were like, <laughs> I mean, they just did a great job with it. Yeah, um, I, I'm gonna say more. I know it's someone's number one, so I'm not gonna yeah, get into it. We'll wait. Can, but I, like, can I just say, Dune had a shit trailer. 
Yeah, yeah. it really it did. Can we, can we agree? If you read the book and watched the trailer, yeah. you're like, all right, so but this yeah, is like, to get people to go see this movie. It, it has nothing to do with people who are already fans. It's horrible. Yeah. It's a bad trailer. Did, do you guys the like posters Zendaya? are also lame. Yeah, the posters They suck. could be so cool. Well, There's I mean, so mo- much most cool modern concepts. movie posters Yeah, suck. modern movie posters suck. The Spider-Man I, I mean, posters? The Spider-Man yeah. posters are hysterical. Yeah. The same Ooh. Green Goblin image in the back. Him just far away in the back, like the size of an ant. I love those... Those TikTok videos, it's like, you're the graphic editor for No Way Home. And it's like, <laughs> dude, and we'll talk about it later. I, I have this movie ranked really high, but like Spencer, the poster <sighs> was just like font on black background. It's a beautiful movie with a million stills. They I got more to chosen, say about Spencer too. And it's just... literally just like black, white text. But yeah, so for mm. Dune, like one of the most influential of sci-fi books, it is unadaptable. Like, you cannot perfectly adapt Dune. Uh, I'll get more into it. Denis Villeneuve. You cannot perfectly wait, adapt Wait for Dune. part two. Wait for part two. And I'll get to my reasons why later. We can fight about it, Dan. We can. We will. Uh, but with what he had to do, with all their like st- restrictions you have to do in making Dune a movie, Denis Villeneuve did a great job. Yeah. Um, Eric's number five. My number five was Come On, Come On. Ooh. Um, uh, I think this is another one we're going to wait. I know Dan has it really high. Um, yeah, you can say it's pretty high. I was expecting to get really bored about 40 minutes in, uh, and I didn't. I really enjoyed it. It's an emotional piece for sure. It's a really good journey. Uh, it's a very unique story structure. The way they intercut kind of documentary stuff and uh, traditional narrative. But we'll get more into it later. Come on, come on, it's my number five. Matt, you're number four. My number four. Now we're getting into the juicy stuff. So this one is a little controversial whether it deserves to be on the list simply because of what it is. I know where we're going. Yeah. So we all have the same number four here. Yeah, oh, that's that's so funny. Four. Our number four is Bo Burnham's Inside, which is it a film? Is it a comedy Embrace special? Debate. I don't know, but I think it's somewhere in the middle, and I think that means it deserves to be on the list. I will preface everything by saying Probably my favorite piece of media mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in 2021. I love the music. I play it. It was my number one Spotify album. I was in the point <laughs> 0.01% I'm so sorry. of listeners. I'm so sorry. Um, I love it. I don't think it's a movie. I think it's a comedy special yeah. based on how his other comedy specials have been categorized. Yeah, I would put it. I think the way that I think about it is that like it falls into the category of like, the Lonely Island type stuff. Yeah. Like, like the, the Lonely Island, like, they did the Bash Brothers experience, and that was, like, on Netflix exclusively. And, like, that's not really a comedy special. Like, it is more of, like, a mixed media piece than just straight stand-up. And I think, I think mixed media deserves to be in there. I think it is more a film than a comedy special. Okay. I mean, I, I'm not gonna... Yeah, agree with that. I think it is a comedy special, but I can see where you're coming mm-hmm. from. It is structured. It has a narrative. Yeah. Um. I, mean, I just I... think the way that it's presented is a comedy special. Yeah. I mean, I think it's less about like the presentation and the structure, and more about the process. The way that I think about it is that it's less about like the structure and the way that it's presented, and more about the way the process that it was made because it was shot. It was non-linearly edited. It you know, it it wasn't. I don't know. Stand up. Stand up belongs more to theater, where it's about the live performance. Like even when you're watching a live recording of a comedy special, for the most part, it's about the fact that it's happening live. There's an audience. There's things like that. 
and I think, you know, a, a lot of the content inside of it is talking about this relationship between like creator and audience and stuff like that. So I think it rides the line pretty well, but I think it's definitely closer to film mixed media than it is to comedy or theater that out of the way. Uh, it's just so good. It's, incredible. It's, yeah. it's, it's incredible. It's entertaining. Uh, I, I think it's one of the first successful pieces of commentary and satire in the 21st century. Uh, Actually, it's hard to say the 21st century because I feel like even like the jump from like the 2000s to the 2010s to the 2020s that we're in now, like the way that technology has just like exponentially increased our understanding, it feels like 21st century just feels too big. I think think it's going to be like... It's going to be the best piece of COVID media we're absolutely, going to see. absolutely. Like yeah. nothing else yeah. is going to uh, top it. portray that experience as well. The yeah. music's really good. Yeah. Like it, that's kind of the main takeaway. The first time you watch it, you're like kind of cringy. Like, why do I like this so much? Yeah. And then you just go back to it and back to it, and it's not even because it's yeah. clever or it's funny. It's because I mean it's pretty clever and funny. Yeah. No, it is. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying you go back to it because the songs are good. Mm-hmm. And the composition's good. And he did it all by himself. What you were saying about it being a film, I would say it's a one-man show, Yeah, which would categorize it as a special for me. Because mm-hmm. I don't think a one-man show is a movie necessarily, but... Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. yeah <laughs> even that Ah, uh, the G like word again. Yeah, but I do think it's done in a way that could not be done live. Like, I don't think you could do a live no, tour No, inside, inside could not be done live. Yeah, no, because the songs could be, but like part of the appeal of Inside was the fact that you're in this one room and you do it in all these different ways with pretty like simple equipment. Yeah, like, but it's 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 very contrived. It's very yeah. it's very purposeful. Like that's that's the the Bo Burnham gimmick is that everything is very like contrived, thought of, very intentional. Even like the honesty feels kind of trite and like s- cynical. It, it it it's is it honest? Is it just? nonsense i don't know and his specials are so deliberate it kind of rise that line of like oh is he actually being honest with the audience or is he acting and i think inside kind of takes that to such an extreme level where i'm like okay i want to believe that he's telling me about his experience during the pandemic but also like he could be playing like a character or like uh, not a character, but like a specific version of himself. An and that exaggeration also of himself. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that wouldn't surprise me either. Either or way, there, there's like a, uh, there's definitely an auth- auth- authenticity. Authenticity yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, thank you. It's just so damn interesting. Yes. Yeah. It, is. it was visually audio performance. Yeah. Background. You know, even the shots of him sitting at the computer, hitting the button, editing, yeah. where it's just yeah. replay on replay. It's a view into the filmmaking process, yeah. which you don't see very often, uh-huh. and then you see the final result yeah. as it's happening. So it's almost like at that point in the movie, you haven't, you know, you're watching the final product, yeah, but you don't know where it's going because you're in it. Yeah, and if anything, that's even more of like a process that would be more commonly found in something like documentary. Yeah, like it, 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 it just rides the line between so many mediums. It's so interesting. I think the commentary is very intriguing. Same. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people that just don't jive with uh, Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham, which and, is fine. Yeah. I mean, it's not everyone's cup of no, tea. I, I, yeah. I saw this. Uh, I saw a really good video. I won't go into it that like breaks down why he doesn't like Bo Burnham, and like I get it. I do get it. Yeah. yeah. I think I know what video you're talking about. 
Uh, exactly. Actually, interesting. I, video, I saw that too. He did a really good video he did. on that. He did. And it gave I me perspective him, I didn't think of. So do it I. It was a good video. But yeah. he gave an interesting perspective. Yeah, I think it's very Wes Anderson. It's either you're, it's Bo Burnham. You know what to expect, yeah. even you if like you don't. Musical yeah. comedy, or you don't. Yeah. That's that's kind of the line. Yeah, and that's all of our number four. Oh, okay. I was gonna. <laughs> no, Ali. Fuck it. you, Matt. Um, he just kind of ended it. That was um, sort of uh, some uh, gatekeeping right there. Yeah. Gatekeep, um, girl boss. It's gaslight. Gaslight, gatekeep, girl boss. Gatekeep, girl boss. Um, no, but like I don't know the content of that special movie, whatever we want to classify it is. I think it's enough of a movie for me to obviously put it on my list as number four. But I found it really, really compelling, especially like considering it a piece of media about trying to make art during the pandemic. Um, I watched it while like during the process of making my like thesis film for school and it just like hit hit a place for me like it hit a nerve in a really good way um yeah I it's like the saddest comedy special I've ever seen in my life and it works really really well like laughing crying in the beginning and then just like sobbing at the end yeah um I, I think it's near perfect for what he was doing. The one bit where he's analyzing his reaction in a YouTube style yeah. video. Unbelievable. It's like, oh, that's hilarious fantastic. and also like, yes. oh my God. That's what <laughs> yeah. it feels like to have horrible anxiety yeah. about everything that you say all the time. Because your brain will do that immediately. Hyper, or at least mine will. Hyper analyzing situations it's just like when on you a leave loop. them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I have anything else to say about it. Dan, do you have anything to say about our shared number four film? No, I think we've all said a good mind out of it. And that's our number four. Well, it's not my number four. Ooh. My number four, it was the most fun time I had in a movie all year. I don't know what your number four is. Red Rocket. Oh. Bye, bye, bye. By the way, I have listened to Bye, 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 Bye in sync 300 times since I saw this Because of the movie. movie? Because this movie contextualizes the song i'm a huge soundtrack guy i think the soundtrack in a movie could be the most important part you can cover up a lot of flaws with a really good soundtrack the soundtrack for this movie is that song and they use it in the movie and dialogue they use it throughout the movie in different renditions um the the one younger woman that he falls in love with plays like an acoustic version and her voice is incredible it's funny it's kind of serious it never takes itself too seriously, though. I know no one here saw it, so I'll be brief. But, like, did not. holy shit. It's funny. It's structured well. The ending you'll never see coming. You see um, Simon Rex's character's arc coming the whole movie, but the way everyone around him reacts, even up to the second it happens, is unpredictable. It's an insane movie that all takes place in, like, three settings, which is why I'm so impressed by it. I love Sean Baker. Florida Project's one of my favorite films. It visually surpasses Florida Project for me, which I didn't think I could say. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable film. Like, truly, 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 go see it. You will have fun. This film is for literally everyone. I don't think anyone would sit down and have a bad time watching this movie. Um, It's awesome. Uh... I don't know what else to say about it. I don't want to, like, get too deep into the plot because it is about a porn star. But, like, 
every character is an asshole in some way or another. Like his wife, who he goes back with, is smoking meth in the backyard, and that's just normal for her. The guy who's giving him rides, who's the neighbor, who seems like a really nice, wholesome young guy, um, he fakes being a soldier in the mall to collect money. It's just, it's just really good. It's really fun. It's really entertaining all the way around. Um, I would encourage everyone to see it. I don't think a lot of people saw this movie. Yeah. It is the A24. Like, if you put A24 movies into a box, this one is the one. Well, you know what my number three is? What's that? Another A24 movie. Come on, come on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really hit me emotionally. Probably maybe the hardest of any movie that I saw this year. Um, it's just, it, it, it just gets you, man. Like, yeah, it and, does. Uh, but yeah, come on, come on. Really beautiful. Uh, visually awesome. Some great, like, quotes that they throw in from, like, people that I knew that, like, really did it for me. Uh, yeah, just a really emotional movie to watch and experience. Great acting, great direction, great story. Yeah, really good. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll talk about it more soon. My number three is the power of the dog okay to be quite honest we watched it today (laughs) (laughs) was the dog uh, benedict cumberbatch or ethan hawk it's eric i swear they look the same no you're the only person benedict cumberbatch look the same no they don't they really don't yes they do so my number three is the power of the dog just saw it today it's pretty fresh so that maybe is a contributing factor to how high the rank is. I don't think so, but I just wanted to preface the conversation with that. Um, It is a slow paced movie, um, but there's, there's a lot of suspense, not in kind of like a way that like grabs you and like makes you like feel really nervous, like not like a horror suspense, um, but it's very intriguing and captivating and, you don't really see where it's going. There's like, there's a few different ways it looks like it can kind of go as you're watching, but each seems to have like an equal opportunity to go that way and for the movie to continue down a certain path. But you can't, you can't figure out which way it's going to go. So that like created a lot of intrigue for me. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch gives a great performance. Honestly, the, all the lead cast Give, give really incredible performances. I've heard, I've heard really good things about it. Yeah, it's really, it is slower paced. I like slower paced movies so that I'm not surprised it's high on my list for that reason. I know I have, we have a few friends who couldn't get through it, which yeah. I really don't see I because don't, don't they said like halfway through, like they, they had to turn it off. But the halfway point is when it really becomes like unbearable and you're like, oh my God. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, um, I don't know. Do you have anything to say? You just watched it too. Yeah. Well, I was going to get there, but power of the dog is my number two. So, uh, oh, oh, yeah, well we can, we can, no, 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 no. Let's just, <laughs> yeah, let's just yeah. go. We'll jump on it. Power of the dog is my number two. Uh, yeah, I loved this movie almost enough to put it as my number one. Uh, it's going to win the best picture Oscar easily, easily, easily. Um, also it looks beautiful. Yeah. That it was my beautiful. main takeaway. Like I have holy hell. Yeah, like I've seen with shots of the movie it looks really itself, good. but yeah. like holy okay. shit! It and looks the good. score, yeah, incredible. The score, incredible. like 
ups the like the suspense. Yeah, it's, dude, Johnny it's not Johnny Greenwood's about to pull a Roger Deakins where he's nominated twice in the same year and still loses. Dude, he had. I mean, he's gonna we'll get into Dune. It. Dune. No, Spencer. Spencer, Spencer no. was no Johnny Green. Johnny Greenwood did Spencer and Power of the Dog. I know, yeah. and yeah. he did Licorice Pizza. Yeah, which doesn't really have, have a, a score, score, but you no, know, yeah, I think he's gonna be nominated Dude, for the. We'll get to it, but that's it's, Spencer score. Yeah, it's no. the best score I've heard in years. Yeah. yeah, no, no, but like Johnny Greenwood did Power of the Dog and Spencer, and he's gonna be nominated for Oscars for both, and he's gonna lose to Hans Zimmer for Dune. He's going to pull a Roger Deakins. And he shouldn't. And he shouldn't. Because I love the Dune score, but Spencer's score is way better. No, the, the Spencer better. score is very, if you're, very, 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 very counting right. sound design, even Power of the Dog sound design may be over Dune. Because, it yeah. again, yeah. it was visually and sound and plot a mm-hmm. very yeah. interesting, but, good story. But anyway, uh, I really enjoyed Power of the Dog. It does have a very long first part. But when you watch it, I really want to watch it again because it's a film that requires context and very intentionally deprives you of context. So when you're watching it for the first time, yeah, it it works so well. It had me like absolutely engaged. The first part is really slow, but once you get to the end and look back on it, it just feels like such necessary groundwork that gets laid for the ending. And it's, it's so tense. It's, it's so unnerving. Like it's just it's, ah, oh, it 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 was so enjoyable. I really want to watch it again because especially Benedict Cumberbatch. I've heard a lot of people like complain about his casting, and they're like, I didn't really like him. Like he, I liked him. He has yeah. a weird accent and stuff, but like, I think he is so compelling. Especially watching through it all the way and wanting to rewatch it again just for him. I I, I won't go too far into it as to not spoil anything, but like, I I really want to watch it again now. I also want to say something else like about his character like the movie is pretty subtle overall but it has these like explosive moments that typically come from his character and Mm -hmm. I think his acting abilities really really shine and I don't think anybody else could have done it like he's very very good at being like very soft and toning it down and then being able to explode in these really intense emotions. Yeah, I think a lot of people just kind of read it as like Benedict Cumberbatch taking on like a period piece role, but it's such a specific character and such a specific emotion at, at certain times that he has to emote. And I think it's it's so specific. And I think Benedict Cumberbatch was probably the best person to do it. Like it's 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 very very specific. It's a weird brainchild of like No Country for Old Men and The Searchers. Yeah. Um. Two movies I've never seen. Okay. <laughs> I, I kind of figured pulling Wait, Eric, out did The you Searchers. Did you see it? I did see it. I, I didn't know you saw it. Too. Yeah. yeah. Did, it, not, did, not, did not make the list, right? It didn't, but I think it was a super competitive list because I did have it as my number two ranked honorable mention movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, I yeah. did really enjoy it. Yeah. If it was going to make the list, I was going to have to knock Last Duel off, which I didn't want to do. Yeah. It, um, but it was really good. It just ended up being a movie that I did not expect it was going yeah. to be. It's it it just it 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 cloaks itself so well that you really like it it had me guessing the entire time. And then like it was it plants the seeds so well that you watch it and you can start to figure it out. Yep. 
but it doesn't it doesn't beat you over the head with it. No. And it's like this road is a dead end, but this road goes to the main narrative. Yeah. It yeah. does that yeah. very well. And also I was like, okay, obviously like these like seeds have been planted for like the plot to go this way, but also if they completely like completely did like a double take like and snatched that away and did something else like that would have worked yeah. just yeah. as yeah. well. And that's really what kept me engaged because I wasn't like, oh, I've solved it. I know what, how it's going to end. I was like, okay, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's going to end up this way. But I like also was like, I could have been blindsided by yeah. it. Yeah. It, 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 had, it had me along for the whole way. Like despite the slow beginning, I just, it, it, it had me hooked. It was, it was, it was my kind of movie and I just yeah. really enjoyed it. And I'm going to sure check it out soon. Yeah. Dan, Dan, Dan you're, you're number, number three. three. Uh, I won't spend too much time on it because mm-hmm. I'm the only one here who has seen it. And it's also <laughs> like, is it Resident Evil? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm. Oh no! I'm the only one who has seen it, and I don't know if it's technically a 2021 movie because it came out internationally in 2020. Oh, I know, but yeah, uh, I it released on like streaming services in 2021. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a similar Judas and the Black Messiah situation. Yeah, we're just that. I'm gonna count it because yeah. I really liked it, and yeah. I want to talk about it. Uh, another round. Yeah, uh, it's a Danish film starring Mads Mikkelsen. Incredible. It yeah. is, if Come On, Come On's, like, my favorite, like, emotional movie of the year, this is the most, like, life-affirming celebration yeah. movie of the year, which is, like, you wouldn't really expect with the premise. Yeah, yeah. So, it's about, like, uh, these four middle-aged dudes are all, like, depressed, and they all test a theory to where if you take a certain amount of alcohol each day, you're happier in life. Hmm. So, like, they raise their blood alcohol level. So, like, when they wake up, they raise it to 0.5, so they, like, take a shot. Uh And then they're like, hey, that worked good. So they end up going, like, 0.10, 0.15, until where they're just, like, drunk constantly. Do they just have breathalyzers on them? They do, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But this is the best depiction of alcohol in a movie, like, genuinely. Like, it doesn't – it's not like a movie where – alcohol is depicted as a evil thing uh-huh. like it's very true to danish culture to right. where like everyone drinks it everyone's having a good time and it definitely delves into like it can ruin you if you're not like mm-hmm. mentally or emotionally stable enough mm-hmm. like it depicts the seriousness of how alcohol treats these characters yeah but also it shows like when they're like more comfortable with themselves uh-huh. like and not overly thinking things how happier and how much stuff they do in life. Yeah. And and did, be- oh, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Say? go ahead. No, go ahead. no, no, you go. Oh, I was going to say, didn't the director like base it off of his real life? His Well, son- I was going to get into yeah, it. Okay, uh, you got he him. was you making got the movie before. Right. Uh, his daughter had told him a lot about uh, Danish drinking and uh-huh. youth culture. Yeah. Uh, but during film, m- filming, his daughter died. So he rewrote the entire screenplay to be a celebration of life. Yeah. And lots of the younger cast in the movie are her classmates. Like, he pretty much dedicated the movie to her. Like, yeah. for example, like, in the movie, like, some dark stuff does happen, some serious stuff, and you feel the weight and emotion behind it. But it uses that to discuss how great it is to be alive. Mm-hmm. And it just tackles alcoholism, depression, death in a very interesting way. Mm-hmm. It, it won the Oscar for Best International Feature, right? It did, yeah, and yeah. 100%, 100% deserved it. Yeah, yeah Matt Mickelson was fantastic in that movie. As, he, uh, as he always is. Of course. Yeah. But there's like a scene early in the movie where he like breaks down to his friends that he's not happy, mm-hmm. and it's like, God damn, this is like yeah. serious. 
but then it's so great because at the end you've probably seen like pictures of it his like dance routine oh no i haven't oh. <laughs> there's a, there's like a dance number i think i wait it I ends with I a dance number and it's like down? so no unfortunately <sighs> Fuck. but it's like it just makes you want to like celebrate you know yeah yeah but yeah. yeah very good movie i highly recommend it yeah Mads mickelson i love him he was he was great in uh fantastic beasts yeah, but yeah and just a story about the backstory of the daughter to it like adds to it and i heard fantastic beast i'm gonna ignore you that's a good because call. i don't want to go on an angry rant it's a good call free that's my boy call. johnny depp <laughs> free but yeah actually um, been freed at this point. great movie Ooh. <laughs> that's my number three cool nice eric you're number three dune um I unapologetically my favorite book and I read a lot sick brag um I waited for this Denis Villeneuve is my favorite when I say modern director I mean guy who works regularly like I love Marty I love Tarantino they don't make movies very often anymore Denis coming out with a movie every couple years Prisoners on Sean Day Sicario Blade Runner 2049 iconic films arrival arrival this may have been my favorite villeneuve film but i'm biased because dune is my favorite book i've read it four times i did not think he would do this good of a job yeah um he got everything right he he did everything and the people that are like well it abruptly ends hey dingus it's halfway (laughs) through the fucking book and it is the cutoff of the book like if you're gonna pick a spot where the narrative completely changes he found it. He found the perfect spot. He did it perfectly. It's hard to make Dune work. Yeah. There was the whole, like, Thurfor Hawat knew or thought it was Jessica and investigated her. He cut that out of the film. But watching it, it seems like they filmed that. Yeah, and there's... then Warner Brothers cut it. Yeah. And Villeneuve kind of backed that up where it was like, yeah, we shot that. Warner Brothers said it was unnecessary. Yeah, like, that's that's one of those things where, like, having not read the book, like, I didn't really pick yeah. up on that in the first one. But, like, with that context of knowing that, rewatching it, I'm like, oh, there are, like, he plants there, there's the breadcrumbs. Seed, yeah. Which is why this is made by a man who clearly loves the source material. Yeah, it's just yeah. such not a great... just making it to make money or to make it he loves the source material he loves dune and uh it's incredible Uh, visually everything i'll talk about it more in a minute yeah but um (laughs) i think it is a near perfect adaptation of dune um i think it is one of the best book to film adaptations i have ever seen um, horrible shout out to the Percy Jackson movies. <laughs> Those might be the worst yeah. um, book to film adaptations I've ever seen in my life. But yep. there, there are quite a few out there. And I think this one does it the best by far. I it's think it understands. Especially with like such a difficult source material. It's such a, it's such a dense, complex yeah. source material. I think... Denis is like the perfect. I think he's the only one who only could have done it. Oh, 100%. Person that could have done this, I, I, yeah. yeah. I th- he, I'll talk about it more because I'm going to talk about it more yeah. later. But I think he has the right amount of understanding of the novel and just of film as a medium and understanding how to tell a story through visuals. And it's. It's magnificent. I'll talk about it more later. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't get physically excited in movie theaters that often. <laughs> we go see a lot of movies yeah. together. I'm usually like a dick walking in and walking out. Yeah. I was like bouncing up and down oh, as I know. the movie I know. started. Like I was giddy. Yeah, I know. And then the casting, like Duncan Idaho, in my mind, that's what he looked like. Paul, in my mind, that's what he looked like. Jessica, he in ripped my mind. him out of the book. Yeah, yeah he did. The he ripped him perfect. out of the book. It was, and yeah, you know, he did have dense material and characterization to work from, but so did David Lynch, and he fucked it up. So, like, yeah. shout out to uh, yo nineteen even yeah. nineteen eighty four Dune uh, masterpiece. Yeah, and it just it just does so much heavy lifting through visual storytelling. Yep. And yeah, let's we'll, we'll get yeah. there. We'll let's get hold off on this. Number two, number two, number two, rapidly approaching Matt. Already hit mine. Power of the dog. Uh, yep. Watched it today. Yeah, it just it, it had me hook, line, and sinker. The the period, the aesthetic, the cinematography, the score, the acting, just the directing. Yeah, Jane Campion. Yeah, I haven't seen any of her other movies though, and this makes me yeah, this makes me want to. Yeah, yeah. It kind of reminded me. It has the same kind of tension as I know you haven't watched this because I've been trying to get you to watch it. Uh, the Handmaiden. Oh okay. Yeah, it's uh. Korean movie, uh, Park, Ch- Park Chan-wook. Uh, yeah, he also did Old Boy, The Handmaiden. Very, s- yes, I'm trying to watch, I'm trying to get you to watch Old Boy and The Handmaiden. Um, yeah, the same kind of tension where it's just like, this whole story's unraveling and you really don't know how to feel about it. You don't know how to feel about the characters, about the situation they're in. You don't really know what anybody's about to do. And as the movie goes on, you just get a better and better understanding of everybody. And it just completely changes the foundation of the rest of the movie. Yeah. 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 Go for it. The motives are just so complex. Like yeah. the the characters are really really well done, and it yep. kind of comes like unexpectedly. Like I get like it's just so simple that it turns into like this really really deep. Yeah. Complexity. Yeah. It's like everything's very complex and very like intricate and layered, and you really. But it's yeah, but it's very concise. Like it's it's very multi layered. But you have such a strong understanding through the storytelling. Like it's never, there was never a moment where I was like, "Oh, I don't really know why people are doing things." You know, it. I think it's because it doesn't pretend that it's smarter than you. Yeah, yeah. It, it really it respects the audience's. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I I think it does a very good job of just like, it can be subtle at times, and it's very much so. Like I think you picked up on that probably. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, I mean like it's. In a lot of ways, the antithesis of Nightmare Alley. Where yeah, like, yeah. In the first 40 minutes of Nightmare Alley, you know every character's motive, every yeah. move they're going to make, what they're going to do, because they all state it very yeah. plainly. Yeah. Like Bruno saying, hey, if you hurt this girl, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Such. Like, you know where every character's coming from. Mm-hmm. In Power of the Dog, you have no fucking idea what anyone wants yeah. until, what, the last 40 minutes yeah. in the movie? Like, yeah. It's really good. It keeps you on your toes. It's a mystery and a character yeah. study. And it has such a tense ending. Yes. And such a tense mystery at the end without doing like the dangling a carrot in front of your face. Yep. Like it doesn't do the like, what's gonna happen? Like it's just very implicit in that, that the story keeps moving at such a consistent pace that it builds that for you. And you're sitting there going, what's gonna happen? Almost like hateful eight in that aspect where you're like, yeah. I'm not sure what any of these people want. And then the end just happens yeah i think hateful eight does a bit more of the carrot dangling though but that's just tarantino in general yeah it's no, very it's very like oh what's gonna happen? you know it's 
Yeah. And then Channing he Tatum also pops is up. big on being like, "I'm smarter than you." Yeah, yeah. you're no, watching it, and I think you're dumb. Personality is I am. I've seen more movies than you. Yeah, and checkmate partner because I know the references <laughs> you're making. <laughs> I if you're listening to this, Quentin. <laughs> I fucking know. I know. Yeah, uh, but the, yeah, this is a very good movie where it's just it feels like a script and a director that is just with you the entire time, and that it says she says, "I'm gonna lay out this story." And you're here with me. And the <laughs> shout out to women. If women, if you're out there, shout out to you. My number two is West Side Story. I don't know if we should continue to wait. It's up to Matt. No, we can we can wait. We yeah, can let's wait. just let's wait. We, we all have number one, and I feel like we all have a different number. We do, yeah, but they're all in each other's like. Top yeah, I think we're all gonna movies. talk. We've about all mentioned each other's number just, one. Let's just let's just see. So anyways, in fact, anyways, West Side Story's my number two. I think it does everything perfectly. I don't want to say anything else right now, but I'll contribute to the conversation later. Dan. Now my number two might be Eric's number one. It is so Spencer. Yeah, so I'll, I'll hold off for like another minute. Yeah, I uh, uh, I'm gonna go in. I'll go in with you because I'll just say that Spencer is a fantastic fucking movie. It's so well made. Everything about it. Me and Ellie did not see it. Yeah, that's your loss. Yeah, that's your Uh, loss, man. Tough break, kid. My number two is Licorice Pizza. Um, I don't think anyone else had this on the list because... You it know, was clearly my, I'm just smarter than everyone. It was else. my uh, why, because <laughs> I love it. Because it's not only really funny; it's a really good story. Below Nightmare mm-hmm. Alley, this was my second honorable mention. Yeah. yeah, it it almost made it. It I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. I think the story is a love story, and I think it's an awesome love story. I don't. I, I get it. It's it's not for pedophiles, okay? <laughs> if you understood <laughs> the time frame the movie was set in. It's just different, man. And you know mm. what? If anyone's going to make this movie, it pretty much has to be Paul Thomas Anderson. He's the only one that really gets the pass. I mean, Red Rocket is similar, but the woman in Red Rocket's 17 versus the guy in Licorice Pizza mm-hmm. being 15. Yeah, there's an age gap. Yeah, it's uncomfortable in modern times, but it was the funniest movie I saw all year by a mile. It was witty. It was smart. The sound design and music blended perfectly it's a character-driven movie. The performances are incredible. The mm. cameos are incredible. That last Benny Safdie scene where they're sitting in the restaurant yeah. and you yeah. figure out that he's gay and the whole shot is a, re- a reverse and a mirror. Um, it's just a perfect film. I The scene where uh, the first boyfriend, who's the actor, comes to dinner <laughs> and the dad's just like, uh, will you lead us in prayer? And he's like, oh, I'm... I'm not. Jewish. I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. Yeah. My journey has taken me to atheism. <laughs> or when yeah. um, what's her what's um, her character in the movie? Who am I thinking of? Yeah, Alana. When she comes home in the bikini, and the dad's like, "Hello, what the fuck?" Yeah. Just everything. Yeah. The the Japanese. The guy doesn't speak Japanese to his yeah. wives, and then he has like another wife in the next scene. Yeah. Everyone in this movie's a piece of shit. The moral is people are flawed, and I just think it's a fantastic narrative. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a movie that like I liked but didn't love. Genuinely had to, had some great times. Some of the highest highs for a movie. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like, yeah. I had a great time watching. And it. as far as like the discourse around that movie goes, I I think it's interesting because that one I think a lot of the discourse and takes and whatnot are fairly stupid. Um, but two, I also like 
I read it as Gary's origin story. Like I don't really, yeah. I don't really read it as like a happily ever after good for them. Like no, I kind of, the whole yeah. movie is like Gary being like, I'm surrounded by these piece of shit men yep. that like are just scumbags that like basically are predators towards women the entire time. And they're just trying to exploit them for sex. And I think Gary kind of ends up like that in the end. Like he's literally opening this pinball thing more or less just to get Alana to go. Yeah. Like, he more or less ends up as, like, the same slimy douchebags that he's surrounded by. Like, I see it much more as Gary's villain origin than, like, a, it's so sweet, happily ever after, you know? I think Gary's character comes full circle by the end, though, Mm -hmm. because he doesn't, he does the pinball thing almost to spite. Yeah. Yeah her and then it's like a it's like a it's like a love hate thing yeah because they're at the table and he's like yeah she's like what are you doing he's like calling for pinball machines yeah she's upset and then he's like i'm done with this i'm done with all of this and he leaves it's got so many ups it's got so many downs yeah i think it's an incredibly crafted narrative where benny safty comes into the fold bradley cooper comes into the fold and all of these john c riley john c riley's (laughs) all of these vignette scenes happen Mm -hmm. where it's almost a random assembly of random scenes but it all is crafted into a narrative it's a good um hangout movie yeah yeah i feel very similar to like once upon a time in hollywood I where also really, where, really love where it's that really, movie. Just like once you go into it and you're like, this is the vibe, like just hanging out, watching yeah. it, having a good time, not really like following a super coherent storyline or anything. But that's PTA. Like if you yeah. like PTA, yeah. you like movies that don't follow coherent storylines. Because yeah. even, you know, Boogie Nights, for example, I think is Never probably his closest film to this. Yeah. And that doesn't really follow a clear narrative. It's kind of like, this is what happened to this guy uh-huh. in this moment. And Licorice Pizza is, this is what happened to these two titular characters, and everyone around them crumbles in the wake. And yeah. that scene with Alana and uh, Benny Safdie's character's boyfriend outside uh-huh. the house, yeah, incredible. Like, that whole yeah, I mean, that's the best area the of that plot yeah. is awesome yeah and uh, it it throws you on your head because yeah. you don't see it coming at all and then you go back to like the news interview yeah 30 minutes yeah. before think, where he's uh, like i don't have time to be a bachelor then you know what he was talking about ali you had an interesting take on that scene the benny safty um i don't know if it's an interesting take that's the only scene in the movie that made me feel anything interesting uh, yeah i'm gonna be the odd man out here i did not like that movie at all um weirdly enough the performances from the two leads i think are incredible but i felt zero connection to either of their characters and since it's such a character driven plot i just like i just couldn't get into it i it, it relied so heavily on the audience just like being intrigued by those two and i couldn't really get into it past the surface of being like wow these two are great actors that was really the only thing it evoked for me and it like i i just was bored i i said this to matt like so many times because i was trying to like put my thoughts together and it just it felt like you know when you're the person on the outside of the inside joke yeah. That's how I felt while watching okay. the movie. Yeah. Like, I literally was sitting in the audience with you guys, and I heard you all, like, laughing and just, like, overall vibing, and I was like, did I miss something? Like, I straight up at one point was like, I think I missed a line of dialogue because it's just not hitting the same way for me. And so, like, 
I, I get the critiques on the age gap and that's honestly not the thing that really killed it for yeah. me. I just like, I couldn't get into the characters and since that's the plot, I just couldn't get into the movie. I think that's completely valid because Paul Thomas Anderson is like that. Like if you've ever seen yeah. Inherent Vice. I ha- haven't. No. I no. can't watch. That's an unwatchable movie for me. <laughs> it just makes no fucking sense. And I don't even like Joaquin Phoenix in that movie. Like I can't get oh, behind okay. a single performance other than Josh Brolin. But I can see where you're coming from where he doesn't give you guardrails at all. He's just like, throw it out there. This is what it is. And if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. That's just kind of what it yeah, is. Yeah, it is. And I really like his style of storytelling and the way he crafts characters. It's multi-layered. Like Gary is how I felt when I was younger. And in a lot of ways, Alana is how I feel when I'm older She's lost, looking, doesn't have the answers, and Gary has every answer to everything. He's the smartest kid who's ever lived, but he's really self-conscious, and he's vulnerable. And every character in this film is incredibly vain, and I think it's a really interesting character study on how people hold themselves. Because even, like, the outside characters, like Alana's sisters and friends, Mm -hmm. they're all, like— you know you like this guy. Just yeah. fucking shut up about it. Or like that one scene where they're smoking the joint and she's like, Alana, you gotta like not take everything so seriously and get angry all the time. And she's like, oh, fuck you. Like, yeah, yeah. It's it's weird though. Like the editing's weird. It cuts a lot of scenes like in the middle of the scenes. Yeah. So like I totally yeah. understand where you're coming from. And it's not even the like, I don't even know if I'd call it a non-linear narrative. No, But it's just linear. like, yeah, it's just, like, kind of out of sorts. Yeah. That's not even what, like, bothered me. It's really just, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just what, For me, it was just always a surface-level connection, and that Benny Safty scene is the, like, the first scene that I was like, oh, finally, I'm feeling emotions It's definitely now. the most, like, emotional, like, and personal scene. I think there's, like, a scene pretty soon after that with Alana's character, and I was like, oh, I finally, like feel something for her but that was by the end of the movie i it just missed something for me bottom line the bradley cooper part is probably my favorite (laughs) where they're in the car going backwards down the hill that might she realizes in that moment that she doesn't care about anyone else in this car and she just wants to leave yeah that might have been one of my favorite movie sequences like of the year yeah the the truck going down the hill backwards yeah and then that was a really gas can humping each other like bradley cooper walks by on the sidewalk so good so you guys like peanut butter sandwiches honestly bradley cooper for best supporting actor honestly honestly bradley cooper did not like him coming into 2021. Gonna be uh, honest, left 2021 like you're not a stars born. You're not a stars born kind of guy. Fucking hate that movie. <laughs> really, really like up there with Bohemian Rhapsody. Wow. Put it in a, the, a pile and burn it. I mean, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is a yeah, special that's... place of awfulness, but we won't go there. The of hell. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get into Lady Gaga's overacting, but holy shit, House of Gucci. Yeah, like, I really hope take you... it down five notches. You're I... not impressing anyone. I really You're just annoying. I really hope she doesn't win the Oscar. Well, I want. I want to for the meme. Dude, pe- for the meme, people. The... No, there are people who deserve that. Yeah. yeah. Well, she isn't. And for you know example, what? I uh, hate Kristen Stewart, because mm-hmm. she could or... do a way better job at everything that I can. So I'm not comparing her to myself. I'm just saying. If you're going to compare her to, say, a Saoirse Ronan type or Kate Blanchett even in Nightmare Alley, they can act circles around her. She's just overacting, and it's fine, but it's not Oscar-worthy. 
You know who I think should win Best Actress? Who? Rachel Zegler in my favorite movie of the year, West Side Story. Okay. All right. Uh, so that's enough of that. Let's move yeah, on. Yeah, let's yeah. move on. Yeah, uh, sorry. I just went on a tangent. Go. So I love West Side Story. Uh, I, I love the 61 version. Uh, the stage play is fantastic. Um, Steven Spielberg is quite possibly one of the greatest directors to ever do the damn thing. This movie's just incredible. It's just so good. And it might just be my personal attachment to the source material and whatnot, but it's just so damn good. And honestly, one of the first modern remakes of a movie, even though they more or less based it on the stage play, not the movie, but one of the more modern adaptations of an older movie that actually feels like it benefits from a modern remake. West Side Story 1961 has some issues, if you've ever seen it. Uh, it's yes. it's great. It's one of the best golden age Hollywood musicals to ever be made. The music, the color, the choreography, the songs, the story, everything is great. Uh, but it's also not very inclusive. Uh, and for a movie about Puerto Ricans, there's nothing really Puerto Rican about it. Bingo. It, and I mean, like, Stephen Sondheim and the guys who originally wrote it, like, very admittedly were like, yeah, we didn't really do any research and we didn't really know anything about it. Like, the original storyline for West Side Story was supposed to be Jews and Catholics on the Upper East Side. And then they read something in the paper about, like, Hispanic street, street gangs. And they were like, well, that's what we're doing then. And West Side Story was born. Uh, but Steven Spielberg did a remarkable job in being like, I love this story. I've never done a musical. This is the musical I want to do. How do I do it in a way that does service to not only the original musical, but also the people and the communities and the lives that this is based on? And it's just incredible. Like, everybody in this movie is incredible. Mike Faced as Riff. Oh, my God. I, I'm into it. I'm into it. Uh, I think uh, it's my favorite Officer Crumpke. That I've ever that's, seen. A, that's a good offer. Even counting Curb Your Enthusiasm, <laughs> it's uh, it takes the cake, man. That was really different. Yeah, but really good. Yeah, and I think like overall, it's just it makes a lot of changes to the source material. It makes a lot of changes to the source material, and I think pretty much every single one benefits the entire yep. thing. It's, I think the main difference between this version of the movie and the '60s version of the movie is that. This one is just like 20 minutes longer. Yeah. It, it, it takes time. It slows down the pacing a little bit in certain parts to expand on the dramatic aspects, which are arguably the weakest parts of the original, you know? Yeah, by a long shot. Like, the, the Tony Maria romance really isn't, like, super compelling. Like, it's, it, yeah. it's not really about them. It's much more about the people around them. But that's kind of the heart of the show anyway. And this d- takes some time to make the Tony Maria a little bit more com- compelling. Rachel Zegler is incredible as Marita. Ariana DeBose as Anita. She was so Holy fantastic. Holy shit. Uh, this rendition of America is maybe one of the best things I have ever seen on screen yeah. in my life. It just does everything for me. Really the only question mark, the only like thing that I still think about when I look back on that movie and I'm like, was this the right call? Is Ansel Elgort as Tony. And, you know, there's allegations against him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's beyond that for me. It's just he's weird. 
He is weird. Yeah, he's a weird choice. He's very awkward in the film. Yeah. He doesn't seem comfortable in the character. Yeah. yeah, I think the biggest thing, though, is that he's a perfect cast for Tony. Because if you watch the original movie, like, Tony isn't really all that attractive. Like, no, he's he's no. really just kind of this big, dumb dope that, like, runs through the streets screaming a girl's name because he's, like, head over heels in he love with her. He could have been played by Marlon Brando and on the waterfront specifically and in different time and I I agree with that yeah uh at times he's weirdly goofy and endearing at times he just seems like he's incredibly out of place every other actor in the movie just feels so effortlessly in line they are the character yeah and Ansel Elgort just feels so much like an actor trying to fit in I think for me the toughest part about making West Side Story Mm -hmm. is do the characters feel lived in or does it feel like someone playing a character from yeah. West Side Story and what this movie achieves is each character is the character. Mm-hmm. It is not feel like a reiteration. Yeah. It feels like its own West Side Story. And yeah. I had it at six, mm-hmm. but that's not a negative on it. Yeah, I loved I, it. I enjoyed it. I was enthralled and entertained the entire time and you know what? I'd watch it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had it at eight. I loved it. Thought it was a very well made movie. Mm. You know, I'd watch it again. I yeah, just yeah. A really good movie. I've seen it four times. <laughs> I've I've seen it twice. I've seen so, it once. Yeah. 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 Uh yeah. But like even with that being said, like Ansel Elgort, like I've seen it four times. And like every time he's on screen, I'm like, oh, this is kind of weird. But like I also it's like a weird train wreck kind of effect where I'm like, it's not it doesn't really work. But I kind of want to keep watching it because it's just, it's so strange to look at on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I really like it. Um, I think, and this is going to sound really weird, mm-hmm. but the street aesthetic almost captures a little bit of like Spike Lee. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know that's weird, but it feels lived in. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a set they're just throwing together. Yeah. It feels like we're living in this environment. Yeah, and I think the biggest difference is that like the original was shot on studio backlots. And yes. this one this one does a very again, being inclusive to this the characters that live in your story. Like there's such a greater sense of community. Like the Puerto yeah. Ricans aren't just like the Hispanic gang that's running around terrorizing everybody. Like they have families and lives and they feel like they have their own part of town and it just feels so lived in and so alive i want to shout out justin peck the choreographer because the original choreography is a borderline untouchable done by jerome robbins it's incredible it's in both the broadway and in the what 61 um musical it's it's iconic like you I don't know. You can't redo it. And he did. He did it. And it's it's beautiful. Dare I say a little bit more compelling for me watching it than the original. I don't know. I don't know if I'd go that far. Um, I also really, really appreciated the stylistic difference and how uh, Spielberg shot all the choreography. Um and the camera movements really emphasize the movement of the dancing and the choreography. Nothing feels forgotten about or secondary. It feels equally important to the plot and the story. And he really, it seems like he really took the time to include the choreography and make it front and center, which is not something you need to worry about on a Broadway stage. But in the movie, sometimes it can get lost 
in the, the spectacle of it all and I didn't feel that way while watching it um it was just really beautiful um honestly all of the cast members were incredible as movers as dancers they all did fantastic um Ariana DeBose was by far the most talented dancer on that set she could run circles around everybody well, she else. was the most talented all around she she was incredible America I think has one of the best dancing sequences in that movie and I think that's true in the 60s version as well but there's something about the dancing on the street in this version and people like coming out of stores and then like meeting in the intersection and there's kids dancing and they're dancing and they're walking around like this whole block um sorry what no I've, I've I've cried every time I see America. <laughs> and there's just like this really, really lovely sense of community that isn't present in the 60s version. Um, honestly, in the 60s version, the fact that they're uh, Puerto Rican characters isn't really significant. Like yeah. it, f- it just feels like makeup. And maybe that's because they're in brown face. Maybe that's why. But like there's like a, such a beautiful sense and like respectful sense of community in this movie and it's really really put front and center in America it's one of the best parts of the movie yeah and even like the clothing the yes. way it's choreographed in movement with the dance moves and the background people and the people coming out of stores and the way that their clothing's kind of flowing or tight or depending yeah, on costume designer popped off oh my god <laughs> and you know minor complaint um, weird lighting choices sometimes, like inside yeah. the gym. Yeah, that's but just, like, that's if yeah, if yeah. that's my complaint about a movie, then you did a fucking awesome yeah. job. Like yeah. that's a nitpick of a nitpick of a nitpick. Like so the, the, the specific like highlight vignettes. That yeah. Like, See, I'm a sucker for that, so I don't. Okay, it, I love it. <laughs> I like the color choices in yeah. some of the scenes yeah. with the colored lighting and like some of the lens flare things that were going on. Now. It achieved what it needed to achieve. So at the oh, end was of the very day, purposeful. it wasn't distracting at all. No. It just wasn't my Your cup toy. of tea yeah. for what I wanted to see. But yeah, it was just for me. It's just such a great modern fantasy. Like it, yeah. it, it feels like such a lived-in real world while also still feeling fantastical it also and amazing. Feels like he drew more on the Shakespeare background yeah. of it, yeah. which I thoroughly yes. appreciated yes. because you watch the '60s, the '61 West Side Story, and it's like. You know, it's West Side Story. This had a little bit of Romeo and Juliet mixed yeah. in, which it is. I mean, it is based yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, Romeo especially and that added scene where like they go to the uh, yeah, museum they, or something. Yeah, like, right. they sing. The, they sing their love in the crypts. Yeah. Who, who wrote it? Kushner. Uh, Tony, Kushner. Tony Kushner. Okay. Yeah. He did a fantastic yeah. job. Yeah. I also think there were a lot of like set choices that were different from the '60s version, and I think that was an excellent choice. Yep. All around. Yeah. Um, oh, I also want to talk about the dance sequence in Cool when they're dancing on the pier and it's yep. broken down. And somehow that's like the point of the film where Ansel Elgort fits in the most for me. Oh, yeah. Surprisingly yeah. is when he's dancing. And I was like, I knew he had a good singing voice going into the movie. So I wasn't ever like, ooh, that's going to be rough. But I didn't know if he could dance. And so I was a little bit concerned. And Mike Faced, whose riff is Broadway star, yeah, so I know incredible. he can dance. I mean, he's just 
he steals the show. Oh yeah, the whenever he's show. on I mean, screen, Elgort holds his own in that yeah. dance sequence. No, I don't want to like talk yeah. about him as a person right now, but he like that was. Yeah, the choreography also in that scene was really, really good because in the 60s version, it's kind of just like a lot of like loitering with like a little bit of choreography in there, but it's very pedestrian. It's not, there's nothing like, there's no frills. And this one was like all frills, all aggression, very masculine, but in a really, really compelling way. The close-ups way. on the guns sliding around. Fantastic. Huge addition to that scene. That oh, and stress. they like stick it up straight yep. in the air yeah. right and in then the frame. It, it's, yeah. Yeah. I could, right. I could probably talk about the choreography for ages in that movie. Oh, yeah. I love West Side Story as much as the next person, but Allie, you're oh. number one. I just talk so much, <laughs> and now I'm going to talk again. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. On a podcast, it's unheard of um big surprise my number one is dune that was that was really good horrendous. why didn't they get you to do the sound horrendous effects, horrendous okay where to begin while talking about this story without talking for 45 minutes um smile gurney <laughs> i am smiling um I think the casting in this movie is incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, the acting, I mean, is also amazing. Um, yeah, we said it earlier. Like, he pulled the characters out of the book. Yep. Like, there's not one weak link. No. In the yeah. cast, no, no matter how small their role in the book, in the film is, it, they're perfect for it. It's funny how we started off this with, like, saying Timothy Chalamet didn't fit the one role. He fits no, he's, he's, yeah, he is Paul. where he fits he's Paul. Paul. Yeah, he's Paul. Like, there's no there's no doubt about it. Yeah. And even down to like Zendaya, people were mad she didn't have a lot of screen time in this, but in the book, she's a second half so, character. Look, I Zendaya, have a bone to Zendaya pick was a marketing technique for yeah, this movie. Yeah, so like, I have a bone to pick. Up. I don't think people would actually like be upset about that if they hadn't marketed her yeah, as did. a main character, they as did. like a love interest, which she well, is. They sort right. of got. She is. They sort of got lucky casting point. her because they casted her like in 2018, like before Euphoria, oh, really? before like most of the new Spider-Man movies, really? like before she was like super big. I didn't know that. I think they cast her like right after uh, Greatest Showman. Also, we didn't talk about Dave Bautista, but like. Holy shit! How about like, uh, he's Sc- just great in he's every a dude. Cast. Every uh, Skarsgård as yeah, the emperor. Yeah, well, not the emperor. I, I think bad. we the expected Skarsgård to do that. Every time Dave Bautista is cast, I'm like, okay, Dave Bautista, one of my favorite WWE stars of all time. What can I really expect from him? And like Blade Runner, he's in the movie for ten minutes. Mm-hmm. I, he has a lot of scenes, and he carries his own in a unique way, and is the mm-hmm. character. I don't know. Every, I just, everyone is. Yes. Everyone is. I mean, Oscar Isaac as uh, oh, my Duke. G- Oscar like, Isaac, daddy. I like... <laughs> Zaddy. I like, I like David Das Malekin, yeah. the mentor yeah. that shows yeah. up for like five minutes. Oh, yep. he's, in, he's incredible too. Like, even the people who have the smallest roles yeah. in this adaption are stellar. Yeah. Like, uh, Thywit, you know? Thewit. I just said his name Thu wrong four because I... Hawat? 
Hawaii. I said like his first and last name combined. <laughs> yeah, you know? I have trouble with this movie because when you read the book, everyone's gonna pronounce the names Different. their own way, yeah. and yeah. then some asshole online's gonna tell you you're wrong. But like, you know what? It's a book. But yeah, um, I think I, I mentioned earlier how Dune is like unadaptable, and I still oh, agree we can that. talk. Yeah, like I still think it's unadaptable, but I think as far as you can adapt it, Denis Villeneuve did really good. Like I remember the first time I saw it, I wasn't disappointed. But I didn't know how to feel because, like, a lot of the stuff I really liked from the book had to be cut from the movie. Like, uh, the first half of the... Not the first half. Like, the first quarter of the Dune book is, like, a very political intrigue book mm-hmm. with, like, you got, like, merchants. You got him spying on Jessica because he thinks Jessica's a traitor. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of very interesting stuff going on that I think really would have added to the movie. Like, I think we're moving the plot line of Jessica cheapens her and paul's relationship yeah i but mean like, in the tent that yeah. scene makes little to no sense yeah. without like, that previous there's stuff that i would disagree i think it still works in the movie i though. think it still works like, i think he does it well but i think it would have been much better with those scenes but ultimately i also got to realize that like you can't adapt every scene when in a book especially with a book as dense as dune yeah like, but i also feel like a lot of the breadcrumbs for those storylines are still there they like, are yeah i mean they they're are, there yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's why I would I would argue that still without some scenes that are kind of like they really shine in the books and aren't in the movies, like what you just mentioned, Dan, they don't need to be in the movie, which is why I think it's a near perfect adaptation, because even without those bits, the movie still makes sense as a whole. And the essence of those small plot points, or not so small plot points in this case, still work their way into the movie, and we get to the same result. Like, like I said so much earlier, like he understands the visual side and is able to communicate that through subtle things, whether it's like in the background, in the set design, in the way the actors are like interacting with each other, and not even through dialogue. Whether that's like strictly the visual and how he's directing it, you still are able to. To see that especially if you are familiar with the yeah. the story through the book but yeah. i think over time it'll become a you gotta watch part one and part two because one of those key breadcrumbs is paul looking at the trees which mm-hmm. i've seen a yeah. lot of people complain about like oh this doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. well in the second half of the book spoiler alert you're gonna figure out mm-hmm. in the next movie that you know, they're stealing all this water. There's mm-hmm. actually an ability for plants to grow mm-hmm. on Arrakis and all these things. Well, and they and show using, you that a little bit they in the do, movie. But they don't tell you why they're showing you it. So people didn't get it. You're going to get it in the second half of the movie. And there's a lot of those plot points where it's like, Paul's going to fight Dave Bautista. And it's going to make my balls hard. Yeah. Personally speaking, I also, like, like, I'm ready. I'm ready. You have to pay attention while watching this yeah. movie. They market it as like a flashy blockbuster, and I don't disagree with that. But you can't it's not just a kind flashy of like blockbuster. sit back and like watch it. Yeah. You have to pay attention, or you're gonna miss things that are essential to the plot. I mean, it's a lot like no, uh, no. yeah, it's a lot like Blade Runner twenty forty nine in that regard and, and, and Arrival. Yes. Yeah, like it's, it's a, a very big movie at heart. Yeah. Warner Brothers. Fuck this movie so hard yeah. in their marketing, in the toy sales, putting Paul in Fortnite. Like, put, I'm not <laughs> they even. They just like, wanted to make money with money. it, and they knew 
hey, we're going to put this on streaming. We'll make less money in the theaters. They shouldn't have put it no, on streaming. No. Like, it and didn't it looks make bad. Sense. It looks bad. I because don't really... HBO and Warner Brothers can't fucking do anything right. Every time they put a movie or a show on their platform, it's all fucked up. Wait, can I just... Oh, wait, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. No, no, you're good. Oh, I was going to do a run-on joke. I was going to say, or when they put out another Fantastic Beast movie. You oh, know. shut yep. up. Just don't even mention it. You, you um, want me to go on? But yeah, like, Dune's one of my favorite books. It's one of the best sci-fi books. It's one of the most influential books. Yeah. And, like, yeah, for as much as, like, I can sit here and bitch, like, uh, this should have been in the movie, yeah, yeah, Like, I got a Dune movie by fucking Denis Villeneuve, and yeah. it was really good. And yeah, Denis compare Cap- it to other modern yeah. sci-fi and, like, blockbusters that have come out. Shout out Star Wars. Yeah, and the, du- the Dune world is so weird. It's mm-hmm. a weird, weird world. fucking yeah, world. there's a lot and of he, shit. He captures that weirdness so well and it's like in like not even like direct ways like you walk into a room and there's a spider dog why the hell is that there yeah i don't know every every department in this movie just really really knew what they were doing and did it perfectly whether it's like the smallest thing to like actually denny directing it like everyone is doing their job like it just feels like a world. Did, like uh, you go, you go from like the it's epic. It's so lived in somehow. The epic this, dunes of Arrakis, and this then was like Raj, Raj did this, yeah. right? Yeah. You only have like one. No, no, no he did it. It's the guy who just doing no, Batman. No, uh, yeah. Yep, Greg Frazier. Greg he, yeah, he also that's shot right. the Batman. That's coming yeah. out. Yeah, but uh, like you go from like the dune, right, Arrakis, and then like you only see it in one scene, obviously, but like the Harkonnens' home world has its own feel to it. It's like a very urbanized, like uh, industrial world, yeah. and then Again, you go like, to the the Emperor's home world with the army, and that just feels like its own thing, you know? You, yeah. Again, even if something shows up for two seconds, it's just done so so per. Like, there's not a second wasted in oh, that no, movie, in no, my opinion. No, you can not. say whatever you want about the pacing. The pacing, I think, is probably the weakest point. I also think it's the weakest point of the novel. Yeah, I think it, it has. Oh, the novel has very I think the pacing. novel has horrible pacing. Yeah. It, it does. is okay. It Prefits, does. It is not my favorite book by a long shot. I think it's a really, really impressive book. I think it's really, really important for what it did for literature. It is not my favorite yeah. book by a long shot, and I think that's why I'm able to recognize it as like a really great adaptation because I don't have like a really, really deep connection to the novel. Yeah, and I feel like. On both sides of that spectrum, I love the book so much that I'm gonna judge it harshly. Of course. And judging it as harshly as I can, I give it an A plus. Yeah. Like it did, it was great. And again, as someone who has not read the book and who has no idea what's gonna come next, I still have a feeling that with a part two, it's just gonna make the first movie feel so much. Oh better. yeah, yeah, 100%. yeah. It is. It's gonna be a Lord of the Rings part two, where like changes part one. You like how you look at gonna, it? I like I hate. Like I hate to say this, but like every time I watch the first Lord of the Rings, I end up watching the other two within yeah. well, 24 you hours. To. You need story. to. It's the same And it better be the extended edition. Yeah, I mean, it's always. Yeah. Come on. Peter, Who it's not. It's not Peter Jackson's King, it's Kong, King Kong, but it's up there. It's up <laughs> um, there. But yeah. Doom. I was going to say something else. And I've lost it again. Oh, 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 the score does go bum, hard. Bum, it does. Bum, it does. It goes really, really hard. Really, really hard. And that helps capture the, uh, the world of it. I, I agree. This is not what I f- 
forgot two seconds ago, but I'm not really, I love going to the movie theater. The theater experience is always so fun. I don't always think it's like super necessary for every single movie. For this movie, it's a whole different experience if you go to see it. Especially when we saw it in the Dolby and your chair is like vibrating from how loud it is. Like there's just something so, so special about Mm -hmm. that experience for this movie in in particular. uh, As a podcast, are we Dolby over IMAX? Yeah. Depends on the movie. Yeah, you know what? I I, yeah. I don't know. The Dolby sound yeah, is I, so I, much better. I do really I, like the Dolby, but it like sometimes I just need the IMAX. I Especially when the Dolby Dun- doesn't give you. I saw Dunkirk in both. Yeah. yeah. Visually, the IMAX was better. Movie experience, the Dolby kicked its ass. Yeah, I, I, said, I just sound. think sound adds to yeah. it. Yeah, I, like... I saw Dune in both, too, and I would, I, I would agree with that. It yeah. looked better in IMAX, but it was a better experience. Yeah. And I think... Like, just to cap off the Dune discussion so we can move on, like... <laughs> uh, no, it's fine. Uh, it's just such a sensory experience. Like, it's a, it's it, it, at its essence, like, it is a visual story. And it can... It, it confers so much information to you just through the visual and the yeah. feel of it. Like, so much of it is not exposition. And it, it, it's so impressive for that feat alone. Um, last thing I'll say... Mm-hmm. Josh Brolin taking the torch from Sterling Hayden. Just 100%. <laughs> he is the modern version of Sterling Hayden. Hail to be Caesar. Honest with you. Hail Caesar. There Hail you Caesar. Yeah. yeah. Dan, your, your number, number one movie number of 2021, 2021 is Resident Evil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! All right. Thanks for tuning in, yeah. everybody. The so. tagline for Resident Evil <laughs> come store Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't know how to fire <laughs> Leon, <him."> you <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> Anyway, ben, my number, number one, one for movie is uh, Come On, Come On. Woo! Yeah. It's a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. You see, I if you know me and my list of favorite movies, right, I have a taste. Like, it's mm-hmm. pretty obvious, mm-hmm. like, what appeals to me. He's a big old sap. Yeah, yeah, I'm a sap. Fuck you. I like movies. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That are just empathetic. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. uh, like they Resident just, Evil. I like mo- <laughs> I mean, yeah. Kasaguchi. Yeah. But Kasaguchi. no, watch it. <laughs> Watching movies that make me feel something, I think, is why I love the movie. The movie experience. It's mm-hmm. why I got into watching movies. Uh, and come, come on, come on, go on, just did that in a way that not a lot of other movies did this year. Yeah, it's the most empathetic movie experience I've had in a while. Uh, and I get complaints about it. It's it's repetitive. It's a bit aimless. But yeah. I also feel like that adds to it. Yeah, it does. Yes. Because that like that's just the point of it. Yeah. yeah, like you're watching a movie that just like tells you like. It's okay to try. You don't know where you're going. It's a like, movie about getting to know someone. Yeah, yeah. getting and to know intimately someone. Intimately getting to know someone. And it feels raw and real, yeah. and it's not contrived. It's real. That's like the yeah. thing I loved about and it. Like the way they cut kind of those documentary yeah. I was audio get into recording it. Like, scenes. Uh, they spliced a lot with like uh, interviews with real kids. And yeah. That, yeah. At first, it's a weird decision. But it adds so much to it because it just adds into like getting to understand like the world around us and how we used to feel view the world in a much more innocent mindset. Yeah, which is very I mean, interesting. small nitpick about that aspect: it was very formulaic. Oh yeah, it was almost yeah. every yeah. thirty minutes yeah. of the film they went back to it, yeah. and in every new setting, that's how they introduced it. Yeah, again, but I also nitpick, feel like that yeah, still works. works. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that aspect. Yeah, I think for me, Come On, Come On definitely 
aside from West Side Story, made me feel the most. And I yeah. think West Side Story was much more because of my own personal attachment and everything. I think Come On, Come On on its own had provided me with the most empathy yeah. and made me feel the most emotionally overwhelmed of any movie that I saw this yeah. year. And, and going back to the yeah. kids thing, I think the reason why I think it works so well is because I see the movie as like, even when stuff isn't okay and it's not always to be okay, you just got to come on, come on and try through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. through the kids yeah. point of view for the documentaries, like they talk about like how shitty the world is and yeah. how scared they are. And you hear it in so many interesting perspectives. Like yeah. one kid, uh, his dad's in prison and he's taking care of his siblings. Another kid's afraid of climate change. Like each of these kids have their own fears that are ruining how they perceive the world, but they still have like such a youthful, innocent mindset and are trying to get through it. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like anyone was acting. No, yeah, I think yeah. that's the key. The well, I mean, it's what King Phoenix went that's for given. Yeah. the black and white, the aspect ratio. It all yeah. was trying to be a documentary feel, and they yeah. did it. They killed it, and that's really, really tough to do without being a mockumentary. Yeah, it was really good. I, honestly, it like the first movie that I think of when I want to compare this to another movie, weirdly enough, is like The Tree of Life, because it's yeah. very like, yeah, yeah. Again, it's it's not a it's not necessarily about the linear story structure i think come on come on does actually still have a rather good progressive story yeah, arc even if it, it even even if it's not the most like it's point a point b yeah, it's, it's much like it's much more linear. character based yeah. and whatnot yeah. but come on come on for me is so much more of like an emotional spiritual experience it's, mm-hmm. it, it's a movie that communicates emotion very well and makes me feel emotion and it's one of those movies that allows you to kind of doze off but not in a way that you're not paying attention more so that it's presenting you're you with, comforted yeah you know? it's, it's presenting you with visuals and auditory cues and themes yeah. that naturally make your mind kind of wander and yeah. think and that's like a good thing like it, it it's a it's a movie that makes you think about other things while still watching it just sort of like yeah. pulls you into a hug man yeah. it's like uh, joaquin phoenix in that movie yeah. is the, like just the, like the most it's empathetic like the lovable kid. dude the it's kid like was fantastic trying out a new pair of shoes the first time it's a little bit rough when you're getting acquainted with the way the story structured the way the visuals look and everything yeah. but once you break it in it's great yeah. um it does take 30 minutes for you to be like okay because it just starts there's yeah. no hey a little lead in a little background it's like bam movie yeah starts. It, it starts and it doesn't really like it doesn't really like ramp up or like nope. it doesn't no. really tell you that it's going to take you anywhere other than where you're at right yep. now and sometimes it's okay yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think it's one of the best depictions of uh, mental illness in a movie. Mm. Yeah, it is. the dad's yeah. depiction the dad, of uh, bipolar was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like a lot of movies, I don't know, they just they deal with bipolar in such a uh, Hollywoody yeah. like way. Yeah, like just felt like just like real. Like when you splice back to the footage of like the mom and uh, was it Oakland? And yeah. She was with them. Yeah. Again, like, it does. It doesn't really feel like anybody's acting. It yeah. feels so real. Yeah, yeah, like. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a movie that yeah. I felt happy, sad, aimless watching it. And that's what I like to watch out of things, yeah. you know? I like yeah. to feel things and leave with a new appreciation or thought of something. And yeah. I definitely left that uh, having felt. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a movie that takes you somewhere. Yeah, it took me yeah. somewhere. Yeah. All right. And the last, the final, the grandiose... 
Eric's number one movie Let of 2021. Let me clarify by saying I saw this movie. Someone else picked it. I had no fucking idea what I was getting myself into. My number one movie of the year is Spencer. Um, like I said, no idea what I was getting myself into. I was enthralled from the second it started. Visually, it's beautiful. Narratively, it is anxious. It's hectic. It's bizarre, but it's also like grounded and slow. It's like it's like a horror it. movie in many ways. It's dude. literally hereditary for people yeah. who simp over British uh, culture. <laughs> it's, it's the crown beats like hereditary. It's you know? in. It's an incredible film. I. Like I said, I had no preconceived notion going in. I had no idea what I was going to watch. And it is incredible. Johnny Greenwood, clap it up. I mean, Jesus Christ, dude. I Best the score, score in, that in a movie, movie I've seen probably since Phantom Thread. Shout out Johnny Greenwood. Um, it's, the, it's not even just the score. It's the sound design horns and the imagery, bangs like... and snares in weird places dragged out mm. changed pitch the way kirsten stewart who i'm gonna be honest hadn't really seen her in anything i really loved her in going into this holy shit she was transcendent and it wasn't princess diana as you've seen her it wasn't a large scope it didn't try and tackle too much it was really a relatable story yeah. of someone that's forced to conform and act away we, and they don't want to do it and they're fighting back. The scene at dinner where she rips the pearls off and yeah. eats them and she's hallucinating. I was going to say, like, it's interesting because these past few years we've seen a lot of, like, Princess Diana projects. Yes. Like, she's been, like, a new... It's like a culture... Uh, icon? She's a, she, well, she is a culture icon, but uh -huh. the past few years it's come back more. Yeah. Like, yeah. The Crown's a big thing, a bunch of other stuff. But this is the best one to depict her because it de depicts her not as the the princess. It depicts her as uh, this woman trapped in like it's an not abusive family. About Princess Diana, yeah. it's about anybody trapped in an abusive relationship or situation where expectations are forced upon mm -hmm. you. The way she interacts with the kids and <gasps> loves the kids. My favorite, and the scene. chef, the guy who plays the chef was great. The chef, he is the everyman who grounds yeah. the entire story and makes her relatable to the audience mm -hmm. and the British like crown relatable to the audience. When the queen walks in with the corgis, yeah, every shot is meaningful. Every shot's purposeful. The way it shots, incredible. The color palette <sighs> is incredible. It's You're just, just enthralled by I it. I am. I, I am. I've seen it three times now. Because I can't stop watching it. And every time you watch it, you figure something else mm -hmm. out. There's references to Anne Boleyn. There's references to British history. But the movie isn't tied to it. Yeah. Um, It's really about someone who's lost their way and lost their roots and is trying to reconnect. Yeah, she's can't. just trying to find it again. Yeah. Like, uh, my, 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 one of my favorite scenes in the movie is uh, that scene with the kids where she's giving them presents. Yeah. You know? Because it's like one of the few moments in the movie... Where it's like she feels at peace. Yeah. And I think it does it very well. Because like that's like, if I remember correctly, that's like right after the Pearl scene or shortly after it? Shortly after. That yeah. scene is the dinner scene. She goes back to the room. She has to change again and come down. And her maid, Anne, I think her name is, is yeah. gone. Mm -hmm. Or Mary or Anne. I can't remember. I think it's Anne. It's Anne. She's gone. And she thinks that she's there and hallucinates it. And she's yeah. gone. Then she goes to see the kids, wakes them up, takes them out of bed. It's just, it's just a really good, the best scene in the film, 
the pool table scene. Oh, my when God, When she's yeah. across from uh, Charles. Charles at the pool table, and all the pool balls are pushed to his side, and she just has mm. the cue. And there isn't a lot of like him telling her what to do, but it's his body language. It's his positioning. It's the visual positioning, the elongation with the wide angle of the table, making it feel like all the chips are pushed to his side, and he has all the power, and she has none. And by the end of the scene, he makes her feel that way. But it's all done through Kirsten Stewart. She acts the movie like a sheet Kristen of tissue Stewart. paper concealing a wildfire. Mm-hmm. What? Kristen Stewart. What did I say? Kirsten? Kirsten. I said it like five times. Yeah. We got a Todd Phillips, uh, Adam <laughs> McKay situation going on with me here. You got a real, uh, also that you scene, got a real uh, Ethan Hawke, Benedict Cumberbatch going on. Sorry, I'm mildly dyslexic. I that scene where she uh, goes to her old, her old house. Yeah, that was also just super well done. She's on the stairs. Anne Boleyn's there. I just—it's an enthralling film. I encourage everyone. And never—it never loses your interest. No, it doesn't. And I think it's an hour and like forty-five minutes. It's not—it's not that long. Uh, I'm a big tight hour and a half, ninety-minute runtime guy, and it—it comes pretty close. Can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm going on and on about a movie <laughs> no. you guys haven't seen. I, I really want to see it. it. I really yeah, want to see it. Yeah, Dan saw it. I I encourage. I like harassed you to see it. Well, I wanted, I wanted to, to see it, it anyway, yeah. and I was like, I'm interested by it. And then you were like, This is the greatest fucking Dude, movie. Dude, a I've lot seen, of so. people hate this movie. Like really? a lot of people really? saw it this year and hated it. IMBD rating doesn't really mean anything, but yeah. I think it got like a six seven and a lot of the critic reviews were like, I don't get it. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's probably but also it, a lot of like I want to go see a Princess Die movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a mood piece. It's not yeah. a princess. This die. isn't a uh the Crown Diana who, British Royalty. Who movie. who made Spencer? Who directed it? It was uh I know his name. It's uh, Pablo Lorraine. Oh, he did. Yeah. Uh, he did Jackie. Yes. That's right. Yeah, the, yeah. The Jacqueline Kennedy. Jackie wasn't bad, but this is like way better than Jackie. Yeah, yeah. That's what I heard. Uh, I know Rotten Tomatoes isn't the end all be all, but Spencer has a fifty-two. I know for an audience. Yeah, score. the audience. It has really an eighty-three didn't. for critics. Honestly, Matt. Very different movies, but I think it's something similar to the audience reaction to Mother. Yeah, I think you almost, and I hate to use precursors to see a movie. You also, you almost have to have dealt with anxiety and depression to see yeah. this movie because the way it portrays it is so accurate mm-hmm. and not obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it seems like a cool time. But it, what Ali said, I mean, a lot of the audience did not like this movie. Yeah. There were and a lot of people like, who saw it who were like, "Eh, kind of sucked." And I feel like, especially if you're like, I'm someone who deals with anxiety, and I really enjoyed it. But vice versa, I feel like if you deal with anxiety and watch this movie, you might hate it. Yeah. Because yeah. it's very I mean, real Like I said, regard. Kristen Stewart, sheet of tissue paper, paper concealing a wildfire performance. She's hmm. not at the beginning stages. She's at her wit's end. Hmm. Everything is breaking. But the way the movie ends where she just leaves with the kids and she's free, she runs into the quail hunting scene and takes them. It's just really well done. I know someone who... Spoilers. Yeah, I mean, listen. I know, I know. Go see the movie. I I know someone who didn't like the last few minutes. Not you, I meant everyone, but yeah. I know someone... I disagreed with them. I know someone who didn't like the the last few minutes where they like... They're in London. But I thought that was like the perfect ending to it. Yeah. They... What do they go to McDonald's? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. It's (laughs) great. It's great. Um, But yeah, I love it. It was my top movie. Real quick, we will list our movies. 
Um, yeah. I will go first. I had Spencer at number one, Licorice Pizza at number two, Dune at number three, Red Rocket at number four, Come On, Come On, number five, West Side Story, number six, French Dispatch, number seven, Benedetta, number eight, Nightmare Alley, number nine, and Ridley Scott's The Last Duel at number ten. You had to specify the yeah, yeah. Ridley Scott. Get off your Ridley phones. Scott production. Get off your phones, kids. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were actually yelling at me because I'm looking at my list on my phone. No, I was doing the Ridley Scott. <laughs> number one, I had West Side Story. Number two, Power of the Dog. Number three, Come On, Come On. Number four, Bo Burnham's Inside. Number five, Dune. Number six, No Sudden Move. Number seven, Judas and the Black Messiah. Number eight, Spider-Man No Way Home. Number nine, The Heart of They Fall. And number ten, Nightmare Alley. Number one is Dune. Number two is West Side Story. Number three is The Power of the Dog. Number four is Bo Burnham's Inside. Number five is No Sudden Move. Number six is Judas and the Black Messiah. Number seven is Spider-Man No Way Home. Number eight is The Harder They Fall. Number nine is The Friend's Dispatch. And number ten is Nightmare Alley. All right, and then going down mine, number one's Come On, Come On. And then going down, we got Spencer, Another Round, Inside, Dune. Judas and the Black Messiah, Spider-Man No Way Home, West Side Story, The Heart of They Fall, and finishing at 10 is The French Dispatch, with an honorable mention of uh, Nightmare Alley. Yeah. Um, this is great. Yeah. Thank you to everyone who made it all the way through. Dan, what's our timestamp? We are uh, almost at two and a half hours. Oh, okay. Oh. I thought we were going to be at three. Yeah. I mean, hey, if you made it all the way through, we Congrats. appreciate you. Yeah, good job. This podcast and the Good Soup name is going to be launching a YouTube channel, a blog website, um, Twitter account, Instagram account. Mario Party live streams? That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> We're going to be putting out tons of content. Um, as a side note, I've worked really, really hard on this project. And he has. Really would appreciate if people checked out our content. We're going to be playing Mario Party on stream. Uh, Allie's probably going to beat all of us. Uh-huh. Or uh, Dumb Wario, one of the or, two. Or Dumb Wario. Uh, I'm going to have a sports podcast (laughs) with my buddy uh, Alex Reichardt, a.k.a. Finney. Uh, That'll be releasing bi-weekly. We're going to be doing film podcasts. I mean, I know we're going to go all see Sonic together. (laughs) That's going to generate content. House of Gucci with Will. Weekly film podcast? Weekly film podcast? Yeah. Am I going to make you commit on on air right now? weekly film podcast. I love that. I want that. Um, And hopefully they won't all be two and a half hours. Allie and I are going to be doing a book club. For people who like literature, uh, can't wait for that. <laughs> I Matt, don't read. Matt and Dan don't Seuss. know how to read, so yeah. Allie and I are going to take this. <laughs> Do you um, have picture book? <laughs> I'm super stoked. I know we're going to have YouTube videos and content coming out. I'm going to be playing some games. I'm going to be doing some sports content. Um, we are going to have a West Side Story write up by Matt live on the website. I have one on Spencer and NFL power rankings, some other sports stuff, so... Etc. If you're into content and into supporting independent filmmakers and content makers, check it out. Also, we're going to be releasing a music video on the platform this weekend, so keep an eye out for that. Shout out Chestnut Grove. Mm -hmm. Um, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Those were our top ten movies. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Allie. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. I had a blast, guys. Yeah. Let's do this again sometime. We have fun here. Yeah, you're damn right we do. Yeah. I wonder if anybody's still listening. Uh, thanks for watching. Good soup. Good soup. Good soup.